This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Greg Bicknell. Greg, you ready to be great today? Oh, yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Greg was born in Richmond, Kentucky, where he graduated from Madison Southern High School in 1990, entering the United States Air Force the very next month, following a distinguished career that led him to the highest enlisted rank of, of Chief Master Sergeant. He was medically retired in 2019. Greg pre- pre- presently resides in Lakeland, Florida, with his beautiful wife and two girls, 18 and 20. As a U.S. United States Air Force veteran with a strong background in strategic leadership, executive level communication, and team development, Greg is intent on utilizing his skills to lead the nonprofit community into a new world of possibilities. Additionally, Greg is, has applied suicide intervention skills, is currently serving as executive vice president of veterans and informed personal engagement at Family Leaders with Life Skills. Greg, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. So, Greg, I'm going to hit you with a softball question first. Okay. Talk about your 3,400-mile journey with your daughter. Journey with my daughters, huh? So, uh, you know, it's, it's been amazing, to be honest with you. You know, everybody always asks you when you, when you have kids, you know, like, uh, what, uh, you know, you want boys, you know, you play ball. And, and honestly, after I had my girls, I'm like, I wouldn't even know what to do with boys, right? It's, uh, so, uh, it's, sometimes it challenged me with the emotional stuff, you know, which, uh, you know, I'm not programmed sometimes to, to deal with, but it, it's, it's been so cool. Uh, they, uh, they really protect their dad and they, they took care of me during some of the trying times along with my wife. And so, you know, that part of, of them being who they are and, and having their mother's compassion and emotion just really, uh, I'm always blessed to have them there, but man, yeah, there's been the challenges, you know, the boyfriends, the, all that kind of good stuff, but uh, at one time, I think my daughter came in, my oldest daughter came in and said, dad, I think I found your song. It was when that one came out, I'm cleaning my gun. I'll be here cleaning my gun. <laughs> and I said, well, let's not quite go that far. We don't know how people are going to respond, but, but I'm like, but it could be true just depending on, you know, how he acts when he comes in the door. So we'll, we'll go, we'll go from there. But no, it's been an amazing experience. My, my two daughters and wife, uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. My wife's great supportive. She's with, with me 26 years of my military career. We got married while I was in. Uh, and then both my daughters are military kids and they love the moving, love the travel and uh, we're very supportive and still are. So it was great. So what do y'all go to on this 3,400 mile road trip? 3,400 mile road trip. Yeah. So, you know, we, so we went on a long road trip back. Oh, it was right before I retired. And uh, we kind of, we kind of turned it into uh, just, I don't know. We, we kind of started out, we pointed toward, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona and went up to the Grand Canyon and ended up in California and, and did this big, you know, uh, around the world, uh, around the nation trip on the Eastern or the Western half. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool because we were in this car and you would think that after being in a car for so long, uh, you'd probably be at each other, but it was the coolest trip because we were, we were out in Santa Monica, you know, we went down the, actually we ended up in Hollywood one day when the, uh, when the Batman premiere was, was coming out. And so it was so crowded. They were all looking at us going, dad, this is really cool, but we should go because it was just jam packed. Right. But we got to see some really cool stuff. You know, we drove all over, we were heading up into the grand Canyon. This was one of my fondest memories is we were heading up in the grand Canyon. We had the, 
we had the, the top open, you know, we had the windows down. I was just cranking, blasting the music, you know, and uh, my daughter, she's she, my oldest daughter. She loves uh, Bon Jovi and, you know, that era of music. And so we all know that music in the house and we were just having a blast, you know, probably did not want to put that on TV uh, because I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it didn't sound very good. But to us, it was a blast. So we, we it was a great trip. Yeah, I've been to Santa Monica a couple more times myself. I, I like Santa Monica a lot. That's, that's a nice place to go visit. Mm -hmm. Isn't yeah, it crazy? Like how everyone likes our generation of music, right? Like, oh yeah, I, like, know. Yes. I love it. I love it. I just had a guy. So we're, we got an event coming up this weekend, and he was sending a text. He's like, "Hey, what about this?" And he was sending me like seventies mix, eighties mix, nineties mix, and I'm like, "I'm like, I love the mix, man, but you know where my heart's at." So. But, <laughs> Yeah, I said, I'm good with whatever you guys put out there. If you listen to me, we'll listen to Creedence Clearwater Revival and, and you know, Journey and all that stuff and, and just be loving life. So. so how many days was this trip you took with your daughters? Uh, so um, it was about 14, 12 or 14 days. So it was, uh, uh, we, like I said, we started out, you know, it was kind of a trip. We started out, went to, uh, we, the first day was a really hard drive, right? And so we went. And we stopped in Flagstaff and we got a place there called Fort Tuthill. We had a little cabin and then we went up to uh, the Grand Canyon, hung out there. But we kind of base camped there for a couple of days. And then we went to Vegas and we had a condo out there and we have family out there as well. So we got to hang out with them and go do some cool stuff. And then from Vegas, we went to, you know, went out and kind of cruised PCH and all that kind of cool stuff and then made our trip around going west. So it was about 12 days. But every day was changing, but we really kind of sucked it up on that first day. So the rest of the day, we only traveled like five hours a pop. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So we would get up, have breakfast, kind of chill, not really not really push it to where we'd be exhausted when we got somewhere. <clears throat> but if we saw like the biggest ball of yarn off to the side of the road, we could end up going and seeing it, right? They're always afraid to fall asleep when I'm driving because we, if it looks exciting, I may go check it out, right? So they wake up like, why are we in this cornfield? Oh, man, there's this, there's a seven-foot-long corn, you know, ear of corn out here. We got to go check it out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Dad, I thought we were going to Vegas, you know, but it's always, it's always a blast. Is this something you did like spare the moment or is this something actually planned out? So, you know, so I went to, I went to Afghanistan in 2016 and I was there and while I was there, I planned this amazing vacation, you know, like military folks uh, kind of tend to do. We, this amazing vacation, we come back. Well, I had this road trip plan and I pegged all the locations and kind of did the logistics, you know, and, and had it all like, you know, we got this day here and all this kind of stuff. And when I got back, the kids looked at me after me planning this, you know, and looking forward to it. They're like, we want to go to Disney World. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess we're going to Disney World. And so the next year, our vacation was already planned. Uh, and we had a blast in Disney. You know, we loved it down there. But uh, we got to take that road trip. But it was already pre-planned. So really, all we had to do is, you know, lay in the hotels and, and where we were staying and all that kind of stuff. And, and it worked out really well, you know. And, uh, but it was already pre-planned. But it was planned. It actually happened uh, and executed a year after. Uh, it was originally planned to happen. Nice. Hey, Greg, uh, and you, are you taking part of NYU Veterans Future Labs right now? So I went through that. So I was the a course. So back in, I'll kind of give you a quick story here. Back in January, well, let me go back further. In December of 2020, I went through my medical VA appointments and, and I was working for a company called Drocken International, great company, kind of like the red air stuff. Uh, and what you see in Top Gun, they were the bad guys. We got there and fly against the thing. But I, I had... I had developed ulcers, you know, just kind of the rigors and me getting medically retired and everything. Um, I, I, I kind of got a little bit concerned, right? And so I totally forgot what question you asked me just now. So you kind of saw that leave my brain, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, can you repeat that? I'm sorry. I, yeah, I no worries. Uh, are, you, are you taking part in the NYU Veterans Future Labs? Yes. Okay, so here's what it was. 
Yeah. So after that, I kind of realized I wanted to slow down a little bit because I was working about 90 hours a week and, and they were taking good care of me, like I said. But I reached out to the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. Right. And so I'm a wounded warrior. I was retired uh, medically wounded warrior. And uh, they I asked, I said, hey, I'm thinking about resigning from this job because it's just, you know, it's, it's not letting me get healthier, which I really need to get for my family and myself. And, you know, what can we do? Well, the guy, Rick Mesa, who now is retired, but he said, hey, I've got this program I'd love to connect you with. So I went through that program and I went, actually went through their VET 1 program, which they already had stood up. And then I was on the initial side of their VET 2 program. And what and it's an amazing program. Alec, uh, Alexa Madero and Kate Stride all out there at the time. Yeah, was yeah, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Alexa, Alexa, you know them, you know them pretty well. I think Alexa said to say hi. Uh, so but, you know, I went out there and went through that and I was the first cohort to go through the, the VET 2 program. So it was really cool. And, and they did such an amazing job and set me up for success. And then in March 19th, uh, I think you talked with Carrie Stewart. So Carrie Stewart asked me to come to uh, Warriors Ascent. And I went through that program. I got back at the end of February and the first day back at work, uh, I think it was the first actual Monday in March, I dropped my resignation paperwork and said, you know what? I need to go take care of myself. I just been, went to a program that was amazing. You know, Carrie, me, he and I have been friends for over 30 years. And uh, he just kind of, you know, I realized that that I needed to take care of me better. I still haven't been doing a great job of it, but I'm getting there. <clears throat> and uh, and that program helped me to realize that I needed to go do what I loved. Uh, and I was already doing something I was good at. But the good thing about it was the company and I, we had a, I let them know what was coming on. I didn't hide anything from them and I gave them the two week notice and all that. So, and they've still been very supportive. I still speak with them on a regular basis. So, so yeah, it was that program. It really set me up for where I'm at now. It really did. Man. So you're working 90 hours a week. That's, that's crazy hours, especially if it's a company you, you don't own. Yeah, it was, it was a little, you know, we, it was a smaller company, but we were doing some really big things. Right. And so, um, and I won't say every week was 90 hours, but there were a lot of weeks where, you know, we were we were working as a team. And and at the time when I was there, Jared, Jared Isaacman was the CEO and then the CEO changed. And but the whole time we were really it kind of went off of his hobby. You know, his hobby was flying airplanes and building this building this uh, airport, you know, or this this group of aircraft uh, uh, F1s and and MiGs and all these things where we would fly against the Air Force and whoever else would you know pay us. Right. It was a revenue generation. And so it was really cool. It was a great job. That was the thing that made it so fun. And sometimes I didn't care to work those hours, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was something that we were building something new. They recruited me to come in and build an engine program. And so I was really excited to get a chance to utilize my skill set. But the biggest part of that was after I had my brain surgery in 2018, you know, I wasn't so sure when I got out of the military what I was going to be able to do. And, and uh, I was his chief and my commander, uh, I was his commander. He asked me, said, hey, I need someone to help build a program. And so I came down and I said, you know, I'm not the same person you remember, you know, because the surgery I'm at the time, it was a lot different than I am now. Um, and he said, you know what, we'll take who you are. And, and we know that guy's going to give us everything he can while he's here at work and we'll take that guy and we'll work around everything. And they did, you know, when I was having bad days, you know, some vertigo issues or whatever, they would, I would, I would work from home or I would take a break and it, and it was amazing. So I owe them a lot because they actually helped me build my confidence back. They really did. And allowed me to kind of step out away from there when it was time and then move on. Matter of fact, I got coined by the CEO the last day at work there. He happened to be on site in Lakeland. I walked in like, hey, it's been great working with you. Uh, and I really appreciate everything you guys have done for me. You know, it's been amazing. And he goes, what? He didn't, he didn't know it, right? CEO, he didn't know that, that one of his program managers. It was just because, again, we were moving a lot, not, not on his fault. But it was, uh, 
he coined me on my final day. And I thought that meant a lot to me because I kind of jokingly asked him, I said, is this because of the good work I did or you just don't want me coming back? Like, hey, get out of here, pal. You're gone, you know. Uh, but I, I really appreciate what they did. And that that Veterans Future Lab in that time frame, I was going through that. Uh, and it just like I said, it, it let me realize that there's some things that I can do and still be able to take care of myself, you know, quite a bit better than what I was doing there. Uh, because I was so into the job and I was learning and I was, you know, putting everything I had into it. But it, it wasn't helping people directly. You know, I was helping a company. I was doing things, but I love training people. I love helping folks, you know, kind of be better. And I also needed it for myself. You know, I was still going through some healing and working there where I was so focused. It let me forget about taking care of Greg Bickle. And that was something that I had to deal with. And, and I think I worked so hard and put in those hours. Maybe not. They weren't making me do it. But I think I just wanted, I immersed myself into it because I didn't want to deal with what I really need to deal with, which was my medical concerns, you know, coming out of the military. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Alexa and Kate. They, they've been over backwards to help people out, especially veterans. I'm a big fan of their, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so, question for you, Air Force 26 years. Can you tell me what your favorite place, your wife's favorite place, and your kids' favorite place was in all those 26 years of, of moving around the world? Yeah, you know, every place, like, I, I don't think I ever went to a, a bad place that we didn't like. Whiteman Air Force Base was the most grueling because of the mission there. You know, it's a strategic deterrence base. Uh, and so, but we made a lot of great friends there. But it was also a job that they kind of thought I was on the road the whole time because of the hours that we worked at that base because of what the mission set was, right? But we really, I will say that the place that that we really grew roots in was down here in Florida. I'm in Lakeland now, but I was stationed at Herbert Field. Uh, and we had some friends there that was from the church, friends there at the local community. And we still really, that's a place that still draws us as like a home location. You know what I mean? And so my kids loved it there. They were in their primary school, their elementary school years, uh, their teachers, uh, our friends, even the people that actually came from that area when we were stationed there, we're still friends with them. And so we have friends now that live up in Georgia. We were, they were part of a church life group we were, we, we had there. And our kids are still just as tight as they ever were. And we go and visit them regularly. Like for me, it's like a halfway stop between here and my parents' house. And so they get this, un, you know, like surprise, I need to stop by for a night, but they're always cool. And we always have a good time. So that was probably the best. That was the absolute best base was Holbert Field. Uh, and it was more because of the community. It, we love the base. We love the beaches. That's why we like it down where we're at now. You know, we can be at a beach really quickly or, kind of relax here in Lakeland, a uh, really beautiful city. But it was the community that we had there. And, and my wife, when I, when I deployed out of Herbert Field, honestly, my biggest concern was that people would try to, try to do too much. And, and it would really, um, they would get their feelings hurt when my wife was like, hey, I got it. Because it was, this, it was a place that I felt so at ease when I was leaving because I knew there wasn't a thing I was ever going to have to worry about. Nothing. And I knew my family was taken care of. I knew that they would be there no matter what it was, because we went through some really crazy years there with family and some things that were going on and our friends as well. Uh, matter of fact, one of our friends that were still good, the first time we really was with them was when their daughter had broken her arm. They was in the hospital at 2 a.m. doing emergency surgery. And we barely knew them and packed up and went and hung out at the hospital with them that night. And now our kids are, that's the one I was telling you about that's in Florida or in Georgia. And we became friends over overnight, you know, we packed up and said, hey, these people need help. Let's go in there and see what it's all about. And it just it kind of clicked for us. But it was something that was telling us, hey, we, we should support them. And throughout my whole career, we've been very supportive of each other. And it's just been really cool. So where's, so Lakeland, where's, where's, where's Lakeland, Florida at? 
So Lakeland, if you look at Tampa and Orlando, we're right in the middle. So right okay. along the I four corridor. So I'm about. I tell people. I tell people. That unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm I'm about 40 minutes away or 50 minutes away from places I go to way too much. One is the VA <laughs> hospital, and the other one is Disney World when my family drags me there. Right. And so, so one one helps me get better. You know, the other one is is fun to go hang out in. And there's just days, honestly, that I don't want to go to either one of them. And then there's days that I'm like, okay, I need to go get this checked out, right? Yeah. Uh, or I need to go and just have some fun and blow off steam. But, but How long have y'all been there? Uh, we moved. So I moved down in September. I, I retired in May 28th of 2019. And then uh, and it was the 28th again, because it was a medical retirement. And then I came down in September, uh, almost 90 days after it was Labor Day of in September of that year. I came down and then my family, because school was going on, they moved down in December. So we're on right about, what is that, three years? I don't like doing math in public, but that three-ish years, something like that. Is that right? Three and a half years? Let's see, 19, 20, No, two and a half years, three years, something like that. So yeah, right in that ballpark. Hey, Greg, talk about this. Um, this is, and, and this is what I think. So now everybody, you know, thanks us for, like, for our, our sacrifice and stuff. But one thing I don't, th- I don't think people don't get, like they get the deployments, time away from their family. What they don't get is like, like me and my family, we spend a lot of time overseas. So like none of my family, brothers, sisters, my wife's brothers, sisters, saw my kids do anything in school, right? No games, no plays. And same mm-hmm. thing, like we didn't see any of our nieces and nephews do anything right in school, right? Like right. no Thanksgivings at home. And I think that's one thing a lot of like the quote unquote civilians don't get, you know, like we don't, we're not around family, you know, like blood family during the holidays, right? Or right. like, you know, there's always Sunday dinner, and I think those types of sacrifices, people don't realize veterans miss out on all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people sometimes, I'm like, you know, my friends, um, a guy called me last night. He and I have been friends since tech school. You know, this weekend I was on on a phone call with three of my buddies that we were in basic together, you know, and we were like we were 14. Well, not 14. We're probably 19. We probably act like we were 14, but we were, you know, 18, 20 years old again. We were back in that time frame. Right. But, you know, when you're when you're with somebody, you know, you hear people talk about stuff like, you know, that you hear kind of people have that feeling like they want to deploy. But what I found out is it's not necessarily deployment. It's that fact that you get real connected and close with your brother and sister that's next to you. And that feeling of community, that feeling of connectedness, you know. And so when I'm with, you know, my military brothers and sisters, you know, I've lived next to them. You know, I don't in those younger days, we didn't go pay a plumber to come over to somebody's house if they sprung a leak. We went and got three or four dudes that thought they might know what they were doing. And then there wasn't YouTube in those days. So we went and got some duct tape and really used some ingenuity and fixed it because, you know, we couldn't afford it. If a wife's if something was going on and somebody was out of town, you just called your buddies and they showed up in the middle of the night whenever it was. And so I think that's something that it's hard to understand if you're a part of it. You know what I mean? And it is tough. It is tough. And when I reach out, you know, I go home to my family. I can meet another veteran like you. You know, we just we've met in person for the first time and we can have a conversation like nobody's business, you know, and just go. And, you know, that we always all these stories. But when I go to family and I go home sometime after the initial top surface conversations, realistically, there's not a whole lot. Yeah, there. There's, there's like nothing there. Yeah. The first. Yeah. And you're and because we're kind of a well, they call it a. Uh, uh, skilled in a lot, but master of none, mm-hmm. because we've had to learn that way, right? Especially when you, I was in for actually, you know, 29 years retired or had the surgery at 28. But it was one of those things that you you have to just learn stuff, you know, and and maybe in their career field, that's what they've done their whole life. They went, they got out of high school, they went to college, they went and worked their career, they did it and they retired or they're still in it. And for us, every time I move places or even at some locations, I may have had three or four jobs in that location that were totally different, all of them, than the one I had before that. Or like you might go home to your hometown and meet with old friends. You think yourself, 
Man, I could feel the same conversation we had like the last 10 times I've been here, right? They talk about the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again because <laughs> their experience doesn't change, right? They're doing the same right. thing. Yeah. yeah. And and I think a lot of my friends back home, so I have uh, a lot of, some, you know, have military experience and a lot of, and some of them are retired. And so that's the one, it's what's, what's odd. I never thought about that until we just, you just said it. But I go back and some folks really keep up with me, especially, you know, they've really paid attention to the career. But it's my military friends when I go back or folks that have been in the military that kind of, is drawn toward me and like we were good friends before but now when i go back we can go meet at the local restaurant or go down to the the brewery that my buddy owns or wherever and just hang out because we have these common experiences and then we you know you when you move from base to base i think i moved like 13 times and when you go into a new base or you go to a deployment or whatever you may not know anybody that you're there with you know after you get older you get to know a few people but you just have to figure it out you know and so when I go home and I sit down and have those conversations, I notice that the vets, it's just so such a such an easier and more casual conversation without trying to have to make it work. Yeah, you could bring a good point. Like I don't think most people realize how much we have to move the military, right? You know, I think my kids was like eight, nine schools, all the moves we did. And you know, it's yeah, it's it's a struggle sometimes. I don't think people realize that. Yeah, it's been rough. Like my my oldest daughter, I really feel bad because you know, we I retired in her her at the end of her sophomore year. And so, and then when we moved, obviously it was COVID. And so she did online, she did in school, she's back and forth. She did some of Becca, you know, some, some of the uh, other schools where they get the book, but it's, it's been different for her. So her experience has been a totally different experience. And I know a lot of folks, kids in COVID, she's not the only one that kind of went through that. Where do I get my best education? But now we're coming up to the end of her, her graduation. And honestly, because of, the much as she's moved and kind of bounced back and forth to really figure out where, you know, she could get the best education. She doesn't have that core group of friends. Like somebody like me, I was raised in the same place in Richmond, Kentucky, my whole life in Madison County, Kentucky. And I still go back and I still see those friends. I have them, which, you know, military kids don't have that, you know, they have the experience of traveling all over the place, but you know, they, they consider Kentucky, I believe to be like home. That's kind of home from there. And that's where my parents live and my brother and, and my, most of my family. Greg, what's your definition of mental health? So mental health, man, better give me an easy one here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so mental health, I think it means taking care of yourself in an effort to be able to thrive and to be your best for others. I think that's because I think that's something that that self-care part, mental health, is it's something that people don't see. It's something that people sometimes don't recognize. Uh, but it's something that's internal that you have to deal with. And that's where the self-care comes in. And somebody like me, you know, I was suicidal at one point at, after my brain surgery in 2018. But I knew all the right things to say. I knew all the right things to do because the military had taught me how to watch out for it. But they also taught me how to hide it when I was in that situation. And so you know, mental health is something that it's really, as much as we look and try to dig into it, it's about getting personal with somebody and truly understanding when they're having that bad day, that the casualty, hey, I'm good, man, you know, and, uh, but I think mental health is something that, that really forces us, and I know it's not a clinical definition, but it's something that deep down inside it, it's, it's, am I good or am I not good? You know, am I thriving or am I not thriving? I don't know if good or bad, but thriving or not thriving. Uh, is there something that I can tweak or is there something I need to go and work through to be the best person that I can be? 
And, and am I willing to go and ask for help when I need it? Because, you know, in our generation, we didn't, you know, we didn't talk about that. You know, you, you just kind of, well, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm having a rough marriage. Okay, cool. Can you go on this deployment? You know, or whatever it was. And for me, you know, I, I retired as I was the, the chief, uh, the group chief at, at Dias Air Force Base when I retired. And I thought I was a really good people chief, you know, if you want to call it that. I thought I was real. And then I got out and I realized that that statement that that mission was it mission first, people always is I'm like, why is that the case? Why isn't it people first, people always? Both of them, because you take care of the people, the people are going to take care of you. And that's what happened to me. You know, lunkhead like me, I had to have, you know, a whole crowd around me to help me get to where I made it to. I didn't do it by myself. And I think that's part of that mental health is that we have so much going on inside here and people can't see it. They can't feel it. It's internalized. And it's something that that really and honestly, the first step, the member has to be willing to come forward. But also from our perspective, the member has to feel comfortable to come to us and say, I got something going on. And, and you know, it's there's a give and take there. And I know with, you know, with mine, I, you know, I struggle with it daily. I struggle with it sometimes. And and uh, well, I struggle with it a lot. And uh, matter of fact, about two or three weeks ago, I kind of freaked out on my vice president of, of camaraderie rescue mission, uh, my org. And, uh, and I actually, I got so crazy that I, I like, like I resigned. I got so mad and so angry with what I was, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I resigned from my own organization, the one that I built, the founder of, you know what I mean? That's where I was at. Right. And like 10 minutes later, I'm like, what was I doing? You know, but that wasn't me, but I'll tell you what happened is, is after that is I went to my neurologist and that forced me to ask some tough questions. And I told the doctor exactly what had been going on with me. I have no emotion regulation. I'm either super excited or super angry. And, and I just kind of attribute it to PTSD. And, and he came out and, he, and I, there's a bunch of other stuff that goes with it. I won't bore you with all the details, but he said, you know, he diagnosed me with pseudo dementia and I have problems for getting stuff and things like that, but it's curable, but it basically it comes from major depression. From when I had that surgery, I thought I wasn't the same person I was, you know, not only at 18 years that I have a brain surgery that didn't go well, it made me actually worse off when I came out than when I went in. But I was at the end of my career and I don't remember my 28th to the 29th year. I don't remember my daughter's last year of high school. And so, you know, there's still some things that my oldest daughter and I, my family, we still have to work out because I went from a guy that was kind of laid back to a person that, you know, you got to walk on eggshells around sometime. And I'm getting there. I became a very heavy participant in my own care. Uh, but I think, you know, with other folks, and I think honestly, in that whole, whole situation is, Many things were put in front of me and I went through some things that I'm a Christian. And I think that it was one of those deals that I think God put it there so I could understand when I was at the point that I'm at now to where I work with people on a regular basis and sit down that I would understand what they're going through because I can relate on a personal level. I don't think God wanted me to commit suicide. I don't think he wanted me to do a lot of things, but I do think that there was a place for me that I had to say, you know, I can relate to somebody now. If you haven't been there, it's really hard to understand. And when I was at that point, I, I thought I was maybe doing something heroic. And when I reached out for the first time in a 28 year career at that point, I reached out <clears throat> and, and I emailed because I was still crying. I was, I had double vision and all I could do. And, and uh, when I reached out, the person on the other end of the line on the email said, make an appointment. Now, how can I help you? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And so, you know, and, I, and, and that was with, you know, and I, I kind of got that. I was a chief at that point. I knew the person very well. And, that's, and, they, and not only did they say, how can I help you? 
They copied and pasted the Air Force instruction and put it in the email to let me know why I should have contacted them via email, right? Well, I was, I was on meds. I couldn't see straight. And the only way I knew how to get a hold of somebody was I happened to have my computer and I can type without looking at the keyboard. You know what I mean? That high school typing class paid off, right? And, 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 and so I typed that email and said, man, I really need your help. You know, my eyes were closed and I was typing. And I got that back. And I, I tell people that day, you know, it's probably what saved my life, I'll be honest, is Greg Bickner was having the worst day of his life. I didn't know what was going to happen for the rest of my life. I didn't know what was going to go on. I didn't know, I didn't know really what, where I was at, but I felt like I just had to do something. And that seemed like an option. Now I realize it wasn't the option at all because, man, I went from there to, to now, you know, running a couple companies and, and, and other things, but, and just kind of moving forward and helping other folks. But I, uh, I couldn't believe it. But Chief Bicknell that day saved Greg Bicknell's life because Chief Bicknell got really pissed off. Chief Bicknell said, what the heck is going on here? And if he's doing this to me, he's doing it to other folks. Yeah. And so, especially the law ranking people. Yeah. And I, and I forward it. So here's the funny thing. I tell this because I, I, I speak, you know, on behalf of the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. I go around and talk. But I tell them, I'm like, you know, that day I emailed. So I emailed my group commander. I was a group superintendent. I sent it over to him. And I, when I emailed him, I said, hey, this is what just happened because it was all an email. And I said, I'm, I'm just letting you know I'm handling it. And when he looked at it, I can, I can kind of envision this picture, right? That he goes, oh, wow. And then he went, oh, no, because he's thinking, all right, she's ticked off. He's highly medicated. And, and nobody's really got his, nobody's there to, to kind of reel him in. So something bad's going to happen. We are both going to the principal's office, guaranteed, when he gets done with this, right? It's, but, but I reached out to the med group commander and their chief, and I said, look, here's what happened. We've got to fix this, right? And they were great to me. I mean, I don't, it was a bad moment, and the person was only following regulations, right? Because it said you weren't supposed to do that, and they were doing what they're supposed to. <clears throat> and I don't ever talk about, but sometimes you got to use a little bit of common sense. And I know that that part is, is, is overworked, but man, you can't just hold hand off somebody and send them a note like that. Like, how can I help you? And, and I, man, I, I still struggle with that. I've tried to, but I had an opportunity to go back and, and give a, you know, I was asked to come over and do a speech before, I, after I'd retired actually. And that individual was in the room and I had a chance to kind of make my point. And, and I did it very professionally and, and uh, nobody really knew what was going on other than maybe, you know, him and, and some of the leadership in the back. Um, but I got a chance to tell them, you know, if you're wearing that medical badge, if you're wearing that, you know, it doesn't matter if you work in the records room, if you're on the phone, if you're a neurosurgeon, but when you have that medical thing and somebody reaches out to you, you're in a position of authority. It doesn't matter what your rank is. It doesn't matter what your position, but when you have that badge, it says you're a medical professional and somebody calls you, you better dang well be well to answer the call. And if you can't, and you're in a bad position, you have to be willing to take the knee and say, you know what? I can't do this today because not only does your career depend on it, but somebody else's life may depend on it. And that day, had I not had the options, knowing that as a chief, I had open doors to any, you know, pretty much any office I wanted to walk into, I don't know where that would have went. If I would have been a younger person that couldn't reach out to the group commanders, couldn't reach out to whoever I wanted to, I don't, you know, I don't know how that would have went. I don't know if I'd be here having this conversation right now. And so that bothers me. And that's what drives me on a daily basis is that I don't want someone else to go through that. It was rough for me. I, I just, man, it. I know I probably got sidetracked, but man, I just, when I get on stuff, when I have these conversations, I want folks to understand that there are other options out there. You know what I mean? And, and there's, there's just, just because you got an idiot on the other end of the phone line, that's probably not making your day better. When you have that camaraderie and that connection, 
you know, and that's what we're trying to build a camaraderie rescue mission, you know, is that, 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 that connection, if you can't connect and the other can support and sustain, that doesn't really matter. You got to connect at the grass. We got to meet each other. We got to talk to each other and because we'll be honest with each other and then we can move forward. So I, <clears throat> that's a little diatribe for me, but I just, man, we got to be better, you know, collectively. And, and luckily I handled it correctly. Uh, I got some kudos for actually doing that. And then the odd thing about it was the first year the Comrade Rescue Mission uh, was, was, you know, uh, in operation, that, that med group commander became my vice president. Nice. I was the president. She was the vice president. So, and that, w- and that wouldn't have happened. I want people to understand is, you know, that wouldn't have happened if I would have been there, you know, trying to take people out, but I wanted to help. I wanted to help change the way things were done and change the process. And there's a lot of processes that need to be changed right so, now. They're just... So, Greg, let's talk about how the military helps you hide your depression, what you're going through, right? Like, perfect example, like, I, know, I, I, I can only speak to the Army. And mm-hmm. Army, before you don't get ready to deploy, they ask you a question, are you depressed? you got anything going wrong? And suppose something's going on with you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like a senior person. Right. And, and you say yes. You know, if you say yes, someone who's not trained up is going to take your place. If you say yes, it's going to take your career off track, you know, because I know the Army, you need to deploy to promote this kind of stuff. So even though the army, well, back in the day, we used to say, you know, we only support you. The back of the day was telling them, don't, don't admit to it, because if you admit to it, all the negative things are going to happen to your career. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and, and so I think with today, we, we're making a change. There has been a shift, you know, and, and like I go on the road for the Air Force when we work program to talk about it and ask them to come forward. When I spoke at Dias Air Force Base last year, I think I, there was around 1,000 people, 800 to 1,000 people we spoke to. And there was 37 people that came forward and said, hey, I could use some help. And we see it. We're still seeing it very significantly in the cops. But there are those moments that when people come forward, if it's significant enough to where they can't continue their career, you're right. It, it, and for me, you know, I should have asked for help 15 years before I did. And maybe it would have changed my career, you know. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I think we're having a change in the culture now. Uh, I think there's something going on, but back when we were in, you couldn't mention mental health. Oh, no. It oh, felt no. as though your career was over. Like you, you just didn't talk about it. And, and I'm glad that that's changing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, people are, I just, for me, I just want people that need help to get the help that they need. And just like with everything else, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be all kinds of different folks at what levels they need help uh, and, and how much help they need and, and whatever the assistance is. But man, I, yeah, I get pissed like that guy, you know, that that responded to me. And that that wasn't healthy. I mean, that could have, you know, and so there there's a human factor that's built in there. And there's a commander, there's a chief, there's all those folks. And I'll tell you, I can't say that before some things happened to me that I truly realized that I would have made some of those decisions that may have been deemed not the appropriate ones and, and may have, you know, changed someone's career forever. Because I was looking at the mission. Again, I thought I was a very solid people person. But when I was looking at the mission, you know, how can I go forward? And I realized I was looking at some of that all wrong. And I own that now. But then I didn't. You know, then I thought, I'm doing the right thing here. We got to get this, remove this person from the line. We got to remove this person from the deployment or whatever. And that may have been a difference. But I think that we're making a change. And I see it. Like, I'm out and about. And I talk to the bases. And I do stuff. And there is a change, but there's still so there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. You know, they taught me they taught me for years on how to recognize it. But the way that I the way that I hit it, I just was the same guy that I always was. Back before I had surgery, my kids say that when they had the brain surgery, they did the uh, they hit the emotional nerve, right? I didn't have I was that guy at the end of the tail. It was like this. You know, this is me when I was happy. This is me when I was sad. This is me when I was ticked off. You know, maybe. 
maybe I, the eyebrows came close together when I was super ticked off. But, you know, I just kept that stone cold persona. And, and I just kind of kept that, that mask on to where, you know, every day, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. But, you know, at that point, the higher up in, the higher up in rank you go uh, is the fewer people you truly come in contact with for a day. So you, you can lock yourself in your office and you can do those different kind of things. And if you look at the statistics, the age group 50 and above, that's becoming a, a big, you know, that's people aren't coming forward because my, so I'm, I'm going to tell you this. This is something that probably articulates it better than anything I've said so far is when I went and I had my, I was having my struggles and I was home and I had the surgery and I was in a bad place. Right. Didn't know what I was going to do. And my family didn't reach out for help. Right. And we were in a situation where I went from this guy that was at the top of his career in the job I wanted. And now I'm in this place where I needed help. My family needed help, but my family didn't ask for help. You know why? Because they didn't think I would want them to. They didn't want to ask for help because they didn't want anybody thinking less of me when I went back to work to think that I was damaged. And so they just put it all on their shoulders. And it was almost my daughter graduated uh, in 2019. And we went to Disney World with some friends of ours. And that was the first time at Disney World I got on a ride and I totally I had to literally get carried ridden out of the park on one of those little scooters. And everybody was crying. It was just a bad day. It was I mean, it was but our friends were there and it was almost a relief because that was the first time. So it went from May of 2018 to July of 2019 before anybody ever really got a peek on it. And that includes family, friends, boyfriends of my kids, you know, anything. Nobody knew about it. Our close friends didn't know. We didn't talk about it unless it was inside of our walls. And when that happened, it was such a relief for my family because finally somebody saw what they had dealt with and they could finally talk about it. And if there's something that I could change would be the fact that I would be that example that would have asked for help before and they would have known that it was okay. And that's a struggle, you know, and I look back on that and I regret the way that, you know, I, I think for the military side and being at the table when things are going crazy and I'm looking calm and, you know, I may look upset all the time because these crazy eyebrows or something, right? But, or frowny or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, but for my family, I wish they would have felt that it was okay to reach out and ask for something. But they didn't because they didn't. They were protecting me. And as much as I appreciate that, I will probably forever feel guilty about it. I know one thing with the military, a lot of people in the military will push back and say, well, you know, we can't do mental health because they're just using it to get out of work. But I think, well, maybe one person is doing it to get out of work and they'll learn about it. But, you, but in order to not let people get out of work, you know, like sacrifice the mental health of 10, maybe hundreds of people, right? Just because one person is not doing the right thing. I never understood that logic. Yeah, you know, and, I, and, you know, like I said, there's a human factor involved, right? And I like to, I like to think that everybody is spot on telling the truth and doing all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the numbers have it that that doesn't always happen the way we would want it. And, but you know what, you can't take any of it for granted. You know, I, I see now that some of the things, maybe the choices I made or the words that I said behind closed doors probably wasn't helpful to people's situations. And I, you know, like I said, I, it took me almost a year or so out of the military to truly realize that and be like, man, what was I thinking? Like, why, you know, and, and that's hard because I, like I said, I, I thought I did a pretty good job of taking care of people. Um, but it's, it is tricky. You know, it really is tricky as to, as to how, you know, you, you just have to take it all serious. Like with suicide or any of the other things, the mental health, you have to take it serious because you really just don't know how many people have you heard? Like when I was in my situation, people would say, you're the last person ever I thought about. and think about the folks, you know, for us, this is common language is to talk openly about what's going on inside the military and stuff. And 
Uh, I had a very big eye-opening thing. I was out at a, an event, and I was asked to step up and speak to a group of ladies, and none of them were military-affiliated, right? And I started talking about, yeah, you know, what we're doing is 22 a day, and, and nobody in that whole audience knew what that meant. And it kind of shocked me because in our world, you know, that's pretty much common language, I think. But I learned something that day because I'm like, you know what? There is that gap between the military experience and the civilian experience, unless you're around a base or around you're stuck about it. That 22 a day doesn't register as much as we talk about it. It seems there. And so I've had to I started doing a straw poll. And I, every time I go into a group that I know is not mostly military related, I'll ask, you know, hey, who here? Who here could tell me what 22 a day means? And there's sometimes I'll be in a fairly decent sized audience and not a single person will know. And finally, somebody will say, I don't know, like veterans, like, and they'll come back with it. And so it's a little shocking to me. Uh, and I think that's a divide that I didn't see before. And it's something that's really opened my eyes. And they're like, man, I, we got to do a better job of bringing everybody together so they truly understand it. So mental health is like, in this opinion, again, like I said, a lot of people with mental health problems, they need to lay taking care of themselves. They always take care of other people, right? They always put other people first. And oh, I'll take care of myself later on, or I don't need help. But in reality, like, how can you take care of other people? You're not taking care of yourself, right? Right. Yeah. The bad, you know, you have to be good because if you may be taking care of the other people, man, you could do it so much better if you were on your A game. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's where the struggle is because, you know, a lot of times folks with PTSD and some mental health and some other things going on, you know, sometimes one of the responses to that, and I'm no medical doctor, but one of the responses to that, which is something that I chose is to throw myself at my work. And to immerse myself into something so I didn't really have to deal with my demons. And, and so we get in that place and we, people see like, oh, man, you're doing this great thing. Oh, man, you're doing this awesome stuff and you're doing this. But really, we're just hiding some of the things we need to work on. And at least that was the way it was for me. And even now, you know, I had not too long ago, I'm with a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, she's, a, uh, she's a doctor. And she, was, she looked at me and she said, you're going to take three days off a week. And I'm like, what? are you kidding me? Three days off a week, you've lost your mind. And she like grabbed my phone and set it down. And she goes, no, that, that's doctor's orders. And I'm like, I'll do my best. Maybe I'll start with like, whatever. You know what I mean? But it was just one of those things where when everybody starts saying, you need to take better care of yourself, it's time to start listening. And, and I didn't do that for such a long time. And there's so many out there that don't. And I don't want to make it about me. Uh, is, is, but you just have to, you know, for me, it was so hard to ask because of the position that I'd been in and, and, you know, who I thought I was. And, and when you finally, I, I, Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, I told my story about March, probably of last year was the first time I ever truly told and came clean on some of the things that I've been going on. And I didn't come totally clean that day about everything, but I felt so empowered after that happened. And then when I started speaking uh, to folks, I realized how much that opened them up to be able to have that conversation and maybe to get them help. And so it's never fun talking about these things, but, I think by doing that and people opening up and talking, it, it enables people to be able to have that conversation and to maybe go to a different place before we're the older generation. Uh, you know, we just didn't talk about anything. And I think now there's a, there's a process. And I think the first part is, is kind of letting, letting folks know that you need that help and you're willing to reach out. I wish I could think of the, I wish I could think of the, uh, the quote, uh, Clint Romache. And I'll get it all wrong. But he said something. There's, there's a, I've looked for it over and over. But I was watching a show. He's a Medal of Honor winner, right? He was part of that uh, outpost Keating and all that stuff. I hope I got all that right. And he was, he was it's in a, some kind of show. It's, it's not the prime character. But he says something like, you know, I feel like it's my, 
my duty now to share this because I want people to understand what it is that we go through. And again, I'm paraphrasing and could be butching it totally. But he basically was making the point that if we keep hiding all this stuff and we don't let it out and we don't tell people what's really going on, there's going to keep being that divide. And so it's not beating it down or, you know, standing on a podium and saying, look, I'm this or I'm that or any of that stuff. It's more of let's just be honest about who we are and what we're doing and take care of each other and then use our talents and strengths, as Carrie would say, to move forward and help others along with helping ourselves. Greg, can you talk about your brain surgery a little bit, like what the process of deciding to do brain surgery, why you had to have it? What was it like yeah. life in this situation, like the process of that going through that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, so I had, I haven't put it all together. And, and so back in 1995 was my last trip uh, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then 95, I went to Korea and I always associate, I had vertigo my whole career and ongoing and back and forth and migraines and stuff. And, and it kind of, it kind of ebbed and flowed, right? And, excuse me. And my last trip to Afghanistan in 2016, it got to where I just couldn't, I really couldn't deal with it anymore. When I came back, I was getting, what I call it activity induced vertigo, right? Uh, to where when I would do something, even folding towels, I would get sick. Well, I went to a neurologist and we went and did all this stuff and all the different ENT. I mean, I had like seven doctors at one time. I was trying to figure things out. And finally, they said, you know, we found this uh, seventh and eighth cranial nerve. We've got a um, blood vessel trapped around it. And it's called a, we had to do decompression, decompression of seventh and eighth cranial nerve. And so you would think on a brain surgery, you'd be like, no, I need like four or five opinions, right? At least. Well, at that point, I'd been dealing with it for so long. You know what I said? Let's do it. Literally, like a, like a three-minute conversation, I said, let's do it. And because all I wanted to do was get better and be better, because I had about four years left in the military at that point. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm like, man, I've been dealing with it so long. Now it's gotten bad. I want to get healthy. And it was my daughter's senior year, so uh, going into her senior year, my oldest. And so I decided I was going to do it during the summer so that I would be healed and everything would be back on track by the time that her senior year started. So I went in and when they, so I was joking about it. I mean, literally I was cracking jokes and, you know, all these kind of crazy things. And I was watching like these videos on YouTube of what it was going to be like. Right. And I, I'd be like, Oh, wow, oh man. You know, like I was making, and they're like, dad, this is serious. And I'm like, Oh no. And so my family really, especially my children, they, they really thought it was like getting a tooth pulled, right. Because of the way I was making it. Well, then when I got into the thing and they had me all hooked up and these elect, you know, all these little things on me and the nurse came in and said, okay, this is a really major surgery. Let's kind of, and that's when it hit me. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, it is. And then it came out bad on the backside. Right. So what happened is this was my, my left ear was my good ear when I went into surgery. Uh, and it's totally deaf now from the surgery. So my ear stroked out during, because the blood vessel that was wrapped around the nerves was actually attached to them and they didn't expect that. And so when they went to try to separate them, they hit the nerve. And that's, that's my non-medical way of explaining it. But it basically made my ear stroke out. Now I'm totally deaf in my left ear, can't hear anything. Uh, and my right ear, I'm, I'm a maintainer, right? So my right ear wasn't anything to brag about either. You know, so it was, but my left ear was my good one. So I came out of surgery totally deaf. And then fast forward from there, uh, as I went through some treatment at the VA after I'd retired, uh, they diagnosed me. It is uh, they diagnosed me with what's called, called triple PD, and I don't. I'm not going to try to say what the, but it's basically uh, vertigo that doesn't deal with the inner ear. It's central neurological vertigo, right? And so it was curable. So that surgery, based on the new information I had, the surgery probably wasn't even required. And so now I went from what I call activity induced vertigo to now I feel seasick 24/7. Uh, right now, it's still going on for you. 
Oh, yeah, every day. Yeah, every day. So um, I, my whole left side of my head is numb. Like it starts like right here and goes all the way around. The surge of the scars back here behind here. And it just tingles and, and all day. And uh, the other day, my meds got mixed up. And I take this stuff, uh, Cymbalta, and I really, I felt like somebody was turning the radio on and all the way off, on, off, all the way up, all the way down for like two days. And I realized that my pills had gotten mixed up because some of the, some of the things look similar because I'm, you know, VA guy, I'm taking more than one pill, right? And, and the, the colors were similar and I was taking the wrong thing. And I, I'm telling you, I was losing it. Um, and so, but it was, it was quasi curable. We'll never know. But I went in, you know, thinking I want to get better. And when they came and told my wife at the, after the surgery was over, hey, there's not much we could do. Uh, she said, you know, in the waiting room from what I, what I know and what she's told me is that she just sit there and cried because my hope was really packed in that bag, right? Like, this is going to, this is really going to change my life. And it did, but not the way that I wanted it to. Which, nope. And that's what ultimately led me migraines and that vertigo and all that stuff. Uh, was was so much worse afterwards. That's what ultimately made me non-deployable and then getting medically retired. After how, how, what's the what was the recovery period after the surgery? Uh, you know, I, I would say I'm still recovering, to be honest with you. But it's about three years is what the doctor told me. He said everything should come back, and there was a slight hope that maybe my hearing would come back in a three year period. Uh, from if I remember correctly, it was about how long it would take. But to really get back to work, I think it took me about three months. But I wasn't very functional. You know, I don't remember. So I'll tell you that I don't remember my daughter's senior year, little bits and pieces of it. And I don't remember my last year in the military now. So I, it's totally wiped out and maybe in a little after. Right. And then it started coming back. But I think about that year and I get like little flashes, you know, of things that happen. But I, it's totally gone. Like I spent 28 years in the military, spent the 29th year. I don't remember much of that 12 months or better. I don't know the exact time frame. But but again, that just coincided with my daughter's senior year. And, and, I, and so I don't remember much of that either, which is really, that, that's probably more frustrating than me not remembering my, my, scene, my, uh, my last year in. Yeah, definitely. And you used to have to go like do medical follow-ups like once a month or something? Excuse me? You used, to have, you used to have to do like medical follow-ups like once a month or something? I do. Well, you know, so I have, so I, so right now, you know, I, so I go through, uh, I see a pain, the, the pain person, uh, you know, I do follow-ups. I do, I go to counseling every two weeks still uh, to work with that. Uh, I do get follow-ups. I just went to my neurologist the other day, which is, uh, they diagnosed me in that, you know, with uh, the pseudo dementia, uh, but we're trying, they took blood work there and then they took, uh, uh, what do you call it? They're going to do another MRI uh, and just to make sure that things haven't progressed. Uh, but you know, it's the good thing about is what's going on now is that I know, you know what I mean? Like I didn't understand like what's going on. Like, so there's no signs of dementia, the, the, the deterioration of the neural, all that kind of stuff is it looks good on the MRI and stuff. But it's because of major depression that really stemmed from after the surgery. All I wanted to be since then is just the guy I used to be. Right. And, and I just want to be like that guy that can multitask and get all these things and do it and that. And some days I'll get there, but sometimes it's just a little bit slower. Right. So I have to be more methodical and I have to really be conscious of what my day's like. You know, if I start not feeling good, this whole side of my head will start hurting and aching and really feel numb and may go into a migraine. My face will actually droop a little bit, look like I had a stroke. And well, I did in the surgery, but it'll start. You can physically see it. And uh, it's uh, I just have to really watch every everything I do. Like I wake up in the morning, like, how's the day going to be? You know what I mean? Because there's no gray area. It's either super happy, super excited, super sad, super angry. You know, there's like really none of that 
kind of in here. So when I, I think it's worked out well this last year for these type of interviews and stuff, because, you know, I get on these and I'm like, man, I, you know, I'm fired up. You know what I mean? But that is, I am excited about what I'm doing, but it's, but it's also, it, unfortunately, uh, simple things like I'll get super excited. I'll give you an example. I got really excited one night. I was having this business call and things were really good. And I go and tell my wife and, and one thing in my house, a little side note is I'm not allowed to tell my wife, this is like a hard and fast rule, right? I can't tell my wife that I have an idea in the mornings until she has at least two cups of coffee, right? That's a <laughs> solid, hard rule, right? So I got that entrepreneurial spirit. I got ideas flowing all the time, right? So I can't do that. Well, this, this happened to be in the evening. I had just come off a business call and it was really good. It was some really cool things happening. And I walked into, uh, into the bedroom and I said, hey, guess what just happened? And she, you know, jokingly kind of does the... You know, because I've got this other idea. Well, you know, we're laughing now, but in that moment where I was at, because I was so amped up, I lost it. Like I just, you know, like it didn't fit the situation at all. But that's something she would do. We would normally laugh about. We would normally think, hey, that's hilarious. And I'm not aggressive. I'm not physical or anything, but I got so angry. Like, you know, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'm just really like, I couldn't believe it. Well, luckily I've got strong kids, you know, and, and that night I like to tell you that, you know, we had an intervention. And so when I got upset, I'm like, I just can't get anything right. Like I, you know, I go into this woe is me kind of mentality and, and really frustrated, but my kids, my kids came in the room and they heard what was going on and they kind of surrounded me and they said, look, and we walked, walked through it that night. So a testament to how strong they are and how strong they've been for me was that night when I was having this really, really bad moment. And there's been more than that. But they just rallied around me and said, Dad, you know what? My, my oldest daughter actually said to me on that night, she was, Dad, I was saying, you know, I can't get it right. And I get so frustrated and yada, yada, yada. And she was like, Dad, I want you to give me 10 good things that you've done. You know, like she's really pulling out all the psychology on me <laughs> uh, because I'm having one of those moments. But. But, you know, I'm getting better with those because of the fact that the doctors have, have kept working. I'm doing my part. I'm doing the counseling and stuff. And, you know, I would say that my board and my business folks would say, don't put this out there. But you know what? This is who I am. And, and this is what I go through. And, and I don't think I hit it for so long. I'm not hiding it anymore. I, I am who I am. Uh, and I want I just I want to be honest and open with people. You know what I mean? And I want folks to feel like they can do that with me. And it's been happening. And and uh, it's hard to talk about. I don't like talking about it. You know, I, I really don't. As much as I do talk about it, I don't I don't enjoy it uh, because I'm sure my family doesn't like hearing me talk about, you know, what went on the days after surgery and all that stuff. But I think we have to have that honesty. And that's where we, and that's where we make progress. And that's where we move forward. And, and that's, what I want, that's what I want folks to know. You know, I want folks to know that, man, I, I'm just, I put my shoes on, even though I had, you know, a couple, a couple extra stripes and stayed in, stayed in a long time and all that kind of stuff. And now I may have a CEO or a founder at my title. I'm Greg Bickman. You know, all that stuff is just because, you know, what society has dictated. We have to, show, whatever. I, I would just rather be like, Greg, that's my title, Greg. You know what I mean? Um, friend, you know. Greg, so, so how often do you, you have to deal with these incidents? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. It kind of ebbs and flows, you know what I mean? Like with my head. And I'll tell you, so it, every day is different. You know, and they'll ask me, like the doctors ask, like, what about this? If, if it rains outside or if it's going to rain outside, uh, I could be a weather person because, you know, my head feels that. I, it's like a big barometer. And on those days, I may be a little bit more edgy. Uh, the ones where I really kind of 
fly off. It's been a lot better here in the last six months, I would say, because I've realized that I've been working on it. I don't do it, you know, and, and, and even now in the last three months, now I've got a team around me that says, Hey, you know, they're like, we've got to keep your flow. Like we got to keep your peaks and valleys. We got to keep to where you're good. Like today, I didn't do much all day. And my, my team said, you know what, you're going to be on that thing at four. We need you in top, you know, we need you ready to rock and roll. So today I took it easy and I haven't been doing that before. So I've got so many people around me that are on my team that I, I don't know, but I, I know it was pretty regularly before. But like I said, in the last three to four months, it's really uh, subsided. But I, I go through every day. I go through a moment where I feel like I could probably fall down because I'll lose my balance, you know, or or whatever, because that the vertigo symptoms uh, and my eyes from what changed during that is I really feel like I'm looking like, you know, how when you look out a window, you know, and you kind of see through it and you see. So that's kind of what it feels like now for me is that I'm looking through my eyes, not out of them. So it's like my, it, it's hard to explain, uh, but every day is different. And so, you know, we'll leave sometimes and the weather will start changing. And my wife will look over at me and say, you, you want to go home? So sometimes I have to plan my day according to the weather patterns, you know, and that's tricky, especially, you know, today, if it would have been a rainy day today, I may have had, to, you know, I would have had to make a decision on whether or not I said, hey, Jason, I know we've been, you know, looking to do this for a couple of weeks. And there's been times where I didn't do that and it was detrimental, right? And so now I've had to learn how to live within myself and that's what this new team that's around me is teaching me is is you know what man you're strong and you you're good when you're doing this but when you're not on your a game we just need you to take care of yourself and that's what a lot of us i think have to understand and I, I haven't been very good at it but I'm, I'm sure trying to learn great so when you did your brain surgery did they do any kind of like a like cognitive brain test before and after the surgery that, that compare compare results well no not really it was more of this is what we found in your mri we so with triple PD, it's kind of one of those things where they don't find anything else. Like I'd been to an ENT, nothing. I'd had the MRI. They really didn't see much. I know there's a joke in there somewhere, right? Uh, and all of these different tests, but nothing really came back. And that's really kind of the core. And the difference like with triple PD, for, and again, this I'm not a medical professional, but I, I do deal with this a lot, right? Because I'm, I'm, I read up on it but and try to learn what's going on with me. But my vertigo wasn't a spinning type of vertigo. My vertigo, the world moves around me. Right. So it wasn't like I was sitting there spinning. Sometimes I would. But for the most part, it was like I was in this just amazingly bad earthquake to where everything's just shaking. And I don't feel, you know, I didn't feel comfortable and I, I would lose my balance. I'd feel nauseous. Now, when it happens now, first thing that happens is my left ear and my deaf ear starts ringing super loud. And then I get this cold sweat that I'm sweating for no reason. We could be in the house. It could be in an igloo. And I'll just start sweating. Um, and then. And at that point, I know I've got to go sit down. I've got to go take it easy. And then from there, it can go a lot of different directions. It can go into a migraine. It can go into dizziness. It can go into all that stuff. But like I said, it all just depends. So. So, Greg, let's talk some more about veteran suicides. Because, you know, both know the 22 number. Yeah. Well, here's my question for you. Like, suicide is like, that's not a veteran program. It's a societal, societal program. Yeah. You right. might not know this. Are there any stats out there that compare like veteran suicides, like the regular population suicide is like by per capita percentage, things like that? Have you ever yeah. seen anything like that? So uh, from, from, and again, I'm my, uh, trying to go off memory here. I th you know, veteran, we're about 1.5, 1.5 times more likely uh, than the general civilian population. It's hard to find the statistics on like the police officers and stuff. Cause it's, a, it's kind of close hold. I would say 
Uh, at least I can't find it. But the assumption is based on some of the professionals within the field that I talk to uh, is that it's probably very closely related to what the military is. So about 1.5 times, right? Except for us, the difference between, you know, you hear all these organizations and, and they talk about veterans and first responders, right? I even say it. But the difference that I had someone break down to me is, you know, with veterans, we're already out of the military. And with first responders, they're still in. They're still doing their job. They're still actually on active. So the conversations that I can have directly with a veteran, we can talk about it directly where with them, you know, I may have to massage it a little bit and go into the coaching aspect or get to know them. Or, so we may not know, you know, and I don't, again, not an expert in that realm, but I just know that with a veteran and with a, there's, we can have that conversation directly because it's so, but with the, the first responders that are still working in their field, they were like where you and I were at. I believe, again, this is just me, my opinion, is they're kind of where you and I were at back 20 years ago. You know what I mean? To where we didn't want to say anything because it, you know, who, if a cop, if a police officer goes out and gets into something and they find out he's got some kind of mental health, there may be a situation to where, you know, that shows up on the news. And now where does that go for the department? So I think, I think, there are places that are doing it right. I think there's places that are really allowing their folks to go get the help. I don't know if that's happening everywhere. Again, there's a, there's a factor, right? And I'm not doing the broad brushstroke. I just know that uh, based on my experience and my conversations, there is a time to where it's a little more hesitant for the folks that are not veterans that are in the other populations because they are still in the midst of their careers and they haven't retired. So it's a little bit of a change. Uh, of course, you know, it's a tough problem to solve. But do you think the solution can fit like any every demographic? Is it the same solution for veterans, same solution for veteran first responders, same solution for like you no know, quote unquote like regular civilians? Or does each yeah. demographic need its own separate you know, suicide prevention solution? Yeah. I, so when I say, you know, I think we're in that place where it's a suicide action. I think that's the thing. We talk about prevention. We've got all these amazing things that we come up with. But taking action is the is the one, right? And and the action that I think really is connecting with folks, right? And so this organization that you know I've been building and and the team's been building is really to get folks connected across the country so that people one feel they're not just worried about the isolation and suicide, but we put on events and things that gives them a reason to think in different terms that they want to be around for this. And then when we get folks connected across the country that you know, we come to our events, I'll be like, hey, give somebody a call. Who, do, who have you thought about that you haven't called in a long time that you would just like to hear from? Well, let's search their number and let's go give them a call. You know, go outside, make this phone call. And so we get in that kind of mentality. There's this app out there. I'm going to tell you what it is because I think maybe your audience would. There's an app that's called OK. It's OK app, but it's it's got five numbers on it. And I'm not getting paid for this. It's not a promotional thing. It's something that I just found. And I wish my phone, my phone's going to come on. I'll tell you exactly what it's called. But you can put five numbers in it. It's something I stumbled across. You put five numbers in it, and all it is is a quick tap of the, your screen, and it notifies those five people that you're having a tough time. That's it. It's that simple. And I thought, man, that is like one of the coolest, most amazing apps. And so now when I've started doing these events, I'll tell people about it. I'm like, hey, go ahead. Who's your five? That's kind of the question I'll ask. Because I think it's, it's an amazing. I'm pulling up my phone right now because I, I, I turned it off so they wouldn't keep ringing on my, uh, on my phone book. But it's called Not Okay. That's okay. the name of the app. Okay. It looks, yeah, it kind of looks like if you can see it, that little sign okay. right there. I got it. And so it's called Not Okay. And it gives you five people. You, you literally put their numbers in. You connect with them. They accept it. And then when you're having a rough time, man, you just hit the, you just hit the button. And it, it notifies all five. So now you got five chances of someone that will reach back out to you really quickly. And I thought that was just so cool. Because it's not 100 people. It's five people. And you get to pick the five. And it's not a medical provider. It may be if they want to be on the list. 
but it's five people. And I thought, man, that is just brilliant. And it's so simple. You know, sometimes we make things too complicated. That was an app that I thought that is so simple. It's just, man, that that's going to save lives. That app is. And again, I'm not getting paid for this. That I don't even, I just can't stumble across it, but I see stuff that works. And then I try to add it to what I, what I put out there because I, I when something is good, you know, it's, it's not about whether it's them or my organization or whoever. It's about getting help to the people that need help in the location where they need it, right? Who cares who sticker or name or organizations on the front? It's about the end result, not about how we're, what the name of the organization is that's pushing us to get there. Greg, how do you, how do we help people who don't want to be helped or say they don't need help? Yeah, that's a, uh, man, another, another, uh, Great question. And I'm stalling because I'm trying to think my, think my way through it. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think I look at it a little bit differently is I think someone that truly doesn't want to be helped. Then then they have to make that choice. Right. But I do think there's people like me that were proud that are a lot out there that are on the fence to say, I don't want help because they don't know how to approach or talk about it. Right. And they don't know how to say, hey, look, I need help because they don't know the response. And so when I was when I was in, I would tell people, when someone comes to your door, if you don't, as a leader, if you don't know, if they do, the person that comes to your door, if they don't know basically what your response is going to be, you're not consistent enough, right? So they have to know what to expect because when things are going good or bad, they have to know where you're going to be and where you're going to stand when they need you to be there standing, right? And so when people know that, and you present that all the time and that's who you are. When people are kind of on that thing and they just want to have a conversation, sometimes it's just really listening. And the people that are on the fence and people that say they don't want help, but really down inside, they just want someone to care. They just want someone to be there next to them when they're going through their tough times and to be there for them and to truly be connected and show that you love them and show them that you're there for them and you're not there for any other reason other than just to be there. I think that gives them the opportunity more so than just saying, oh, he don't want to be helped. Let's move on. And so I don't think you can force anybody. I can't, we can't make anybody do anything, but we can sure give them different options when they know that we mean it. And I think that's what I try to do these days. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that used to try to, you know, still sometimes I am the guy that tries to put that square peg in the round hole, you know, but, but I really think that when you, when you truly show people that the option is different and that when they do get a hold of you and they call you, or they just want to sit and talk that you're really there for them and not for any ulterior motive. You're there to make sure that they're okay. You're there to make sure and not because you're trying to get them to give a donation or show up or do a video or whatever else you're trying to do when they truly know that you care and they truly know that you're there for them. That's when I think the door opens and they're willing to have that conversation that maybe they wouldn't have for anybody else. And that's what I live. You know, that's, that, that's who I want to be. That's who Greg Bickner wants to be is the person that maybe in my organization and everybody really is that if someone truly is in need that they know that they can reach out to me. There's not going to be any judgment. There's not going to be any, you know, Oh my goodness. It's, and I'm going to have this conversation. I'm not going to make it any better, any worse or any better than what it really is. And we're going to work through it and figure out a way forward together. And I'm not just going to say, make an appointment. I'm not just going to say, here's an AFI. You should have done that. I'm going to say, let's, Let's figure this out together because together that's, that's a connection. Once you have that connection with a veteran and really anybody, I think is that's when you can really make the progress. And I think that's what we're missing sometimes. Yeah. I think the big thing is like you said, like you can't, you know, you have to be able to like not have any judgment, right? Cause you know, no one's going to want to come to you if you think you can be judged. And also, you know, it has to be a bad thing. You know, you open up someone and they say, Oh, what well, do you have to be depressed? You have to be depressed. Right? You have a great life. Or, 
I, I would know to say before, I've never thought of you to be depressed or doing this kind of stuff. And, and, and I can't imagine how many people don't admit to stuff because they think that's going to happen to them. Yeah. And it's hard. You know, we're, we're proud people, you know, I, I always, you know, and for, you know, we, so in the military, we have to think that we're going to be able to take the hill. We have to think that we can pack up our bags in the air force and fly around the other side of the world and in 72 hours, be flying an operation that could save lives. Right. You have to have that. You have to have the swagger. You have to be able to think it can be done. And sometimes that puts us in that state that, man, we don't want to feel, you know, the quote unquote air quotes weak. But, you know, I, that is a cliche statement. But, you know, there, to me, there's really nothing stronger than someone saying that I need help. Because, man, I, out of everything I've done in my life, that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do was to say I need help. It was a struggle. And, and, and I didn't even really say it. When it really happened, Kerry Stewart reached out to me and he just said, brother, you're coming out here to Kansas City. You know what I mean? He, it was probably not quite that direct, but that's the way it felt because he said, man, I see you and we've been friends for a long time. And I know, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, you're looking like you need something. And I went out there to Wars Ascent and they, they did some amazing things for me. And I'll forever be grateful for that. But it was somebody like that. That's that call I'm talking about. That's, he really knew who I was, right? Not just a face, but he knew who I was. And I, I had a guy that called, I'm going to tell you this quick one that had a guy that on LinkedIn, he said, uh, I don't remember what the post was, but he said, I just want someone to listen or, or I've tried to talk, but nobody will listen. And I text back and I said, well, give me a shot. And I gave him my phone number and he called and I was sitting in the office that I'm in now. And this guy talked for three and a half hours. And he just wanted to be heard. And at the end of it all, you know what he wanted? He had a small farm up in North Carolina and the guy just wanted people to come visit and see it. And we're going to make that happen. But he was so proud of what he had been doing. He had had his own challenges and he had done some of this really cool stuff, but he just wanted to be heard. And some of the things he said, you know, you could tell it was some of it was frustration. Some of it was just pure anger. Some of it was love. And we, we, but he just, for three and a half hours, this guy just really sit there and just kept, you know, kept talking and talking. And I didn't say, hey, I got an appointment. There were some things that were going on that day. And uh, my family came, I think they were going somewhere. And I was just like, no, this is, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing today. And, uh, but the guy just wanted to be heard. He just wanted to, and he said, I, one of the things he, that he, one of the things that he said that really struck me, that, that really hit a chord. And he said, you know, I got all these organizations that want me to come to them. Who's coming to see me? Mm, that's and, a great point. And that, man, that, that hit me. And I said, you know, and that's kind of where we're at now with this camaraderie exchange, you know, that we're doing uh, is that, we want to be able to go to and with people that are of like mind to go into organizations around the country and say, we're bringing this package to you kind of a la carte. You can pick what you think is needed here. We can bring our whole package. And, and we're there to help and go to the locations, maybe not every little small town, but we can do it regionally and we can do it. And, and, and that's where we're trying to grow. We want people that really think of for themselves. If I have a canine person, I want the canine person to know where to get everything. They may have to think a little bit outside of, of themselves and what their organization stands for. They need to know where to help this person as a whole system. If a person is doing therapy or doing this or a different modalities or whatever, I want them to understand more than just of what they're doing and have their mind focused on how does this make me money? You know what? It might make you money, but I want to say, I want people to get help. I want to take it to where they're at. I want to, that's what I want to do. And I don't like if, if you somebody's got something going on, I'll tell this to, to, you know, to your listeners. If there's something's going on out there right now and you think that my services could be helpful and my board and my business partners are going to hate me for this. Uh, uh, maybe not. But but if there's something that's going on and I can be of assistance, 
you know, and, and you think I can help and we can sit down and have a chat about it and the schedule and all that kind of stuff. I will wear your shirt. I don't need to wear any of mine. I got a couple of companies. And if it leads that, I told one of my business partners the other day, listen, if, if it leads to helping people, I'm in. That's, that's where I'm at. You don't have to know anything else about Greg Bignoff. If it leads to helping people, and it's not illegal, immoral, or going to get me in trouble or get me grounded or get me divorced. You know, I, I'm in. And, and that's where I want folks to be is I want us to think about something that's bigger than kind of what our own little area. And I'm helping make sure that we can get the people that need to get to locations where they can work on their own nonprofits, where I help them get to where we're going to do these events. And I just, if I can help you out, I will put on your shirt. I mean, really, if it's, if it's something amazing, I may see if you want to work with us or work with me, or I'll come work with you. I don't care. I just want people that need the help to get the help. That's what I want. Greg, can you talk yeah. something about your, what you do as an Air Force Wounded Warrior Ambassador? Yeah. So as, a, as an ambassador, what they do is they, you know, they put me on the, <clears throat> they put me on the road and I go out. Like I said, I'll go back to, I've only done a few events and I, I want to get into a lot more, but we go out to bases and really we promote what the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program is about. You know, they've got an empowerment and transition group that helps folks transition. And maybe that's how I got into the, uh, the NYU Future Lab, a guy from the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program got in there. Uh, they have a readiness, a, a war team, a wellness and resiliency program where they do these events and things like that and, and help folks get better. Uh, they have a recovering airman mentor program, which I'm also a recovering airman mentor mentor uh, to where folks that are struggling or getting out of the military or maybe not know what the next step is. They assign them to the mentors and then we help them work through their concerns that they may have going into civilian life or even maybe getting back into the work or when they're going through. They just have someone that they can bounce it off of that they have a little more experience than they have. And so with the ambassador program, we go and try to tell everybody about all these things that are available because a lot of people don't know, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a huge, amazing, man, it's such a good program that's in and it's available. Uh, there are some, you know, when you're going through, not everybody qualifies to be, you know, a wounded warrior status kind of thing, but what they do, I can't, what they did for me personally, I can't put a dollar sign or a number or any, it's just, there's so much available that the team at the Wounded Warrior Program is doing that it's AFW2, you know, and, you know, they, uh, man, it's just the team, I, I get almost misty eyed because they have helped me. They were a part of the whole team with Carrie at Warriors Ascent and the AFW2 program between those two organizations and, Man, they they may they've helped me to to what I believe is thrive, and I'm going to keep pushing hard and harder because. Uh, but it's it's really about just going out and connecting with people. Again, it's what is available. If you're struggling, what can we do to help? And and we're trying. They're trying to really make it to where folks know what's available. And you just look up AFW two, uh, and, and it'll explain a lot more. But there's four or five programs in there. I don't won't try to quote it, uh, but it's. You know, empowerment and transition, recovering era mentor, wellness and resiliency. There's the ambassador program. And I'm sure I'm missing one. There's adaptive sports um, and all that. So it's just uh, there's a lot of options. And if you need it, you know, reach out and ask. If you don't know if you qualify, heck, let them make the determination. Don't try to make it yourself. Just reach out. And someone like me, if you think you uh, are a wounded warrior or you think that you may qualify, I can nominate somebody. So when I meet people, I'll just let them know and say, hey, here's a person I want you to look into. I've talked to them and see if they qualify, see where they're at or see what we can do to help them. So it's a resource that I have when I'm helping folks in my daily ventures and daily work. Greg, from your point of view, 
why do so many military veterans have such a tough time transitioning? You know, I, that is a, so I, I think where it is, is, you know, you, so in the military, when you, when you retire, right. And if you go back to your base a, a week later, I'm going to ask you when you, after you retired or moved on and you go back to your base, you go into your old duty section. What do they do? <laughs> are you, why are you here? Yeah. You don't have anything better to do. Right. So you yeah, have this. Yeah, you're, you're retired now. What, what are you doing yeah, here? Yeah. Yeah. You're, are you trying to come back and tell me how to do my job? So we're such proud people on that side. Is it when we do come back, that's been our friends in our community for, you know, for me, 29 years. And now that we retire and we go back to transition, you're not really truly welcomed, even though you're good friends, you're not welcomed in the confines of where you always were. Right. But the other part is, is it is as you start transitioning, you know, in the military, and I, I deal with this, I get frustrated sometimes is when something needs to be done. And I said, you need to do this. There was a likelihood it was going to get accomplished because there were repercussions on the backside if it didn't happen to where when I work with independent contractors and whoever it is, and, and again, there was, there was stuff that were military folks didn't come around either, but there was repercussions. I could, I had a mechanism to make sure that people were doing what they're supposed to. Well, in the civilian sector, they don't quite have that. So I think a lot of veterans in my purse, I'll speak for me. I would get frustrated when someone would tell me something and commit to it and then not do it, you know, or, or they would, or they would uh, give me a product that they knew themselves was less than Stella, but they were just like, man, eh, you know, whatever. It didn't feel like the commitment was there. Uh, it didn't feel like it was there. And that's not everywhere. You know, I, like I said, I went out and went to Drakken and, and Drakken was full of, you know, some colonels and chiefs and, and we still worked like we did when we were in. And, and my transition was a little bit different because I was like 85% military. Uh, so I didn't start my transition until after really like a true transition in the civilian sector until I had been out for like a year and, you know, a year and a half, I guess. But I think that's where the struggle is. It's just different is when someone doesn't do the repercussions aren't there. And we knew inside the military that, that if someone didn't do exactly what they were supposed to, or they didn't put forth their best effort, there was a mechanism in place. And sometimes for me in the civilian sector, it doesn't seem that that's the case. It seems like sometimes that, um, and, and it's, it's sometimes it, it's counterproductive because, you know, I, uh, you know, 85% on the civilian sector and we'll figure out the kinks where, you know, if I was doing somebody's EPR, heck, I, I put people through boot camps just to do performance reports, right? We would stay 12 hours because I wanted to make sure it got right and, and they're there. Well, and then you get out and you realize that the documentation, you're not going to, if you have to make everything perfect, you're going to go broke. You know what I mean? If you take the time for revenue, you know, we're talking about revenue generation versus readiness. And we're all based in the military. We're based on readiness, not revenue generation. And so that pot of money is different now. Every everything you do has a number value associated with it, an hour value, a money, a monetary, a time frame. We're in the military. It was just get it right. You know, do it right the first time or do it again. And sometimes on the other side, it's like, you know what, 85 percent, as long as it doesn't, it's not safety or something like that. Maybe we can we can be OK with that. And that's something that would, you know, I think a lot of folks when we first got it drove me crazy. I'm like, but it's not perfect. Like, I can't I'm not putting my name on that. Are you crazy? Like, that's my reputation. And and I'd get that. I'd get that look like, seriously, man, it's like a piece of paperwork. Like, you know, what I mean, it, it, really? Yeah. And so. Yeah, I got two yeah. quick stories, Greg. So my first job post-Army, like I purposely, I'm not going to be any type of personality, do checklists. I'm going to calm, slow down, calm stuff down, like do, like try to fit in right. 
Mm-hmm. And I, after 60 days, the boss told me, hey, Jay, you're doing a great job. I appreciate what you're doing. But I need to slow down a little bit, right? You're doing too much. I thought to myself, boss, man, I'm working like 30% capacity. Like, you want me right. day on, day off? And second story, we started these, like these weekly meetings, right? And, the, and they told the engineer, hey, engineer, I need you to do these things. And he's been done by two weeks. The engineer said, I might be able to get started in a month on this. I almost passed out, right? Like, what? Yeah. It, just, it just blew my mind. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, really? I'll get that done by Tuesday, right? <laughs> exactly, then, yeah. But then sometimes with us, you know, we, we really have that mentality because, like I said, you have to believe that you can take that hill. You can do that stuff. And so I, this is funny. It, it, so the guy I went to the I was at the bank the other day and I'm trying to set up some, uh, you know, a, a two, two accounts. And I came in and I, I told the guy, I said, look, I need to get these set up. And the guy's been slow rolling me, the guy I've been talking to. And so I, I'm coming to you. It's a different same same bank organization, but a different physical building. Right. And the guy looked at me and he goes, well, when did he contact you? And I'm like, it was like four days ago. Right. This was recent. This is like in the last couple of weeks. And the guy goes, are you prior military? And I was like, well, why'd you ask that? And then I kind of hit me. I was like, is, is that what, you know, he goes, oh yeah. He goes, you military guys are totally different. He said, there'll be people here that do stuff. They just expect it's going to take two or three weeks. You know, you expect it to be done by the end of the day and our inbox is cleaned out and it's ready to rock and roll. And I just started laughing, you know, but yeah. this, I mean, literally this is within the last 10 days, last two weeks. And the guy just, he was like, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, it's only been four days. Uh, just go ahead and follow up with him. And, and I'm like, but I can't wait, you know, like I need it done now, you know? And, uh, he just, he just, we just had a good chuckle about it. And he was like, man, he goes, as soon as you said that, I knew you had to have that military background, you know? Yeah. Or like, like, are you, are you do something? And you're like, man, it's been like two weeks and it's only been like two days. <laughs> What's yeah, taking so long? More of like Jason, it was literally two days ago, maybe like not even two days, maybe 34 hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. No kidding. All the time. All the time. And that's, and that's, so, and that's been the biggest, so, so that's been one of the biggest changes for me. Like, like I said, when I had that surgery, I have to slow down now. Right. And so I was talking to my counselor and I said, you know, I, I want to check this and that. And, and he goes, Greg, you know what the problem with you is? And like, he didn't really say it like that, but he, this was a context. He was like, you know what? He said, most people that when we kind of get them on some meds, we try to get them at this level where they function he said, you want like a magic bean. He said, you want this bean to make you produce not even as like you used to, but better than you used to. He said, that's not even what it's really for. You know, he said, we're trying to do this. And it was just, it was a, it was a very casual conversation, but he was like, dude, you just want like a magic bean, man. He's like, you know, this, you want to go back to that guy that was producing could work, you know, this and that. And he's like, we got it, man. You, you know, we got to slow down a little bit. But I, I thought it was kind of funny. He was like, yeah, you just looking for that magic bean. I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, give me one, find it, tell me what it is. And do it in 24 hours, right? Yeah, yeah, in 24 hours or less, or I'm going to be upset. Yeah, let's make it happen. So, Greg, what advice do you have for people getting out of the military in this day and age? So, while you're in, never turn down a training opportunity. I think that's big. It's, it's, oh, man, that's so big. I know so many people like turn down training opportunities. Yeah. I realize that how it's going to pay off for them after they yeah. get out. That's big Anything. right there. It doesn't matter what it is because you never know quite where it's going to pay off, you know, but, you know, get something and get that education, you know, but, but trade school and learning your vocation, learning your job, getting that actual experience and all that stuff, that's huge, but make sure that you, there's a plan, right? And so a lot of folks that go through the mid board, it happens really quick and you don't know what you're going to do. So what I do when I work with folks, I say, okay, well, where do you, what do you want to do? You know, and go to go to TAPS, the Transition Assistance Program, not the Tragedy Program, but the Transition Assistance that you have to go through. 
go to that a year out, you know, and understand what it is that your options are and then really kind of internalize it. And then when you get about six months out, go through it again or four months out, go through it again, because then you, your mind is working on what do I need to prep? And so one thing that happened to me early in my career is I think I was a staff sergeant. I was serving in quality assurance at the time. And there was a special job that came up that somebody called me about and they asked me for a resume. And so I had to build a resume at that point early on in my career. I think it was probably around 2001 and I didn't retire till 19. But it forced me to write that resume and then I had to keep it up. So when it got time for me to, to move on and, and I was retiring, there's a lot of things that was already done because luckily the folks that were in my life and in my path, my supervisor and stuff had taken care of me and they had kind of prepped me. But still, you know, I, I don't remember that last year, right? And so I would just tell people that, you know, you'd never, never undervalue education. Never, ever undervalue your connections with folks because as you're in as long as I was, you know, you get a chance and you, you get to meet people and you soon find out that your reputation, your reputation precedes and follows you. So when you go to a new base, if you don't think like I did it, if you had, a, we had new folks coming in, I would call and check on the ones, especially the ones that were going to be in a leadership role. You know, I'd call them like, hey, how's this person performing? Hey, what's what position? You know, I would look and ask all those questions. Uh, and when you get around for a while and you start knowing the same people, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people have the same opinion about me. And but as you start talking to folks, you understand that that reputation that they have is pretty much consistent. And so. That follows you, but it also precedes you. And so when folks are out there, it doesn't mean to be a yes, man. I, I don't. I, what I'm saying is when you do something, if you're going to get angry, you know, have a reason behind it. If you're going to and, and and if you're going to. Uh, uh, do something, make sure that it's not just serves your own purposes, that it serves the greater good of the folks that you're in charge of or you're leading. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, the education, you have an opportunity to do bigger and better things if you get your education. But also if you go get that technical certification, whether you got A&P, if you're a mill, you know, if you're a, you're a maintainer, airframe and power plant, or if you go get your IT certifications and all that, because that makes you more valuable. So the training, you're getting the experience, you know, which is a big part of that. And then you get the, the, uh, uh, the education. And then now you get the opportunity and it leads to a lot better things for those that don't plan. So I think that would be, and don't ever be afraid to ask the question. You know, when you see these things popping up, just learn what's out there and then maybe reach out and find that mentor. I think, I think the further along that we go in our career, the more that we need that person, uh, that'll be a mentor, uh, that'll tell you when you think like, you know, one of the, and my wife was one, you know, I was complaining one time, oh, these people aren't doing this. And, I, you know, I was getting one of those sad. And she basically said, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? She kinda get, she's like, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like either fix it or deal with it, but it, it doesn't come in this house. And she wasn't being mean. Basically what she was telling me was you have an opportunity every day to either make your life better or worse. You have an opportunity every day to affect those around you in a good way or a bad way. You get to choose that. And when you're getting ready to get out of the military, you will find out that some of those situations, and I've had this happen, is some of those folks, I'm like, man, that company, they'll, goodness gracious, I'm never getting a job with them. But I was doing a good job, except I was being thorough. They didn't like it because I wasn't on their team. But when I went to retire, they reached out to me and said, yeah, now you can be on our team. So, you know, that concept of, man, they're going to hate me, you know, do your job. Whatever job you got, go and do it and do it the best you can because someone's going to, if it's one of those jobs that nobody wants and you make that thing, and you do it really good. Guess what? You just did a job that was great that nobody else even wants. 
So what's going to happen when you leave that job? And with those contractors you're working with, don't just do your job and do it well to the best of your abilities. And then when you get out, you'll get to see what that changes. So that education, I think for me is number one, you know, make sure that you're prepared and, and even the basic stuff. And that just means listening to the advice and talk to the old guys and, uh, you know, talk to the folks that say, this is what you should do because there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, us old guys sometimes actually know one or two things. We don't know everything, but there's a lot of folks that are retiring that, that really have no plan. You know, I remember having a chief back when I was younger and, and he was, I said, what are you going to do when you retire? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know. I'm, I'm retiring. He's retiring like three weeks. Like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I'm like, and that baffled me. And, uh, and I just think just be prepared. But I think the biggest one is make sure you don't ever turn down education, make sure you have a plan and then make sure that whatever that plan is, you do your due diligence on the research, whether the job that you want requires education. There's the ONET out there and different things that you can look into that tells you exactly what that career field. It tells you what it's going to pay, what part of the country and all that kind of stuff. That information is out there. You just have to ask for it. Yeah. For those who don't know what Greg just said, ONET is a Department of Labor ONET. Basically, you just like, you know, you can type in any job, dander, plumber. Mm-hmm. Software developer tells you all those skills, tests, and tech you need for that job coming to the Department of Labor. It's, it's, it's a great asset. It is. Uh, um, so, Greg, talk about your saying, people first, people always. Yeah. So, you know, I, the mission first, I think, you know, I, uh, people first. So, when you take care of people, people take care of you. You know, the mission is going to happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not the aircraft that makes the aircraft fly. It's not the security forces that keeps the car and the gun that, or whatever they're in their uniform that makes people not come and breach security or whatever. It's the people. And when you take care of them and they want to come to work and they want to show up and it may be rough, but you know, some of the, some of the tightest knit uh, communities, you know, you talk about like the Marines and stuff, you know, we'll all agree that, you know, their basic training is probably not like the air forces, right? But those they have, they have, they, they're, they're proud, you know, and the Air Force is, does its part, but they all have these different reasons and what they do. But it's one of those things that if you take care of the people, the people are going to take care of you. Because at the end of the day, when you're out of the military and you move on, what's left when your kids, when your kids move on, if you're married, it's your wife or your significant others or your friends. It's not the mission. When you leave, when I went to go retire, as soon as I said I was going to retire, they were looking for my replacement. So as much as I didn't think the Air Force was going to be able to survive without Greg Bicknell, <laughs> Chief Bicknell, it did. And it's doing, you know, doing okay. Uh, uh, doing pretty well. But you have to realize what's there on the, what's there afterwards, right? And so I think when you take care of people and allow them to take care of themselves and allow them to take care of their families, then their families are more committed to helping getting things done. And like I said, I wasn't always good at that. I was always super mission focused when I thought I was really taking care of people, but I sometimes looked at taking care of the people as helping get them promoted and helping making sure they knew all their technical stuff and, and more mission focused. And uh, it took me about a year out to realize, you know what, sometimes I miss the mark and that's hard to admit. I mean, it's really hard to admit, uh, but the people first people always, I, and, and the mission just happens. The mission will take care of itself. If you take care of the people, the mission will take care of itself. Hey, Greg, back to the veteran transition. And I think this is what a lot of people mess up on where they're retiring is getting out. I think too many military veterans, like they don't set themselves up economically to succeed, right? But like, I know so many people, like a year out, they'll buy a new house or they'll yeah. buy a brand new car. And I know, I think the myth is like when you, when you leave the military, you lose 50% of your pay. 
No, really, you lose like 75%, right? Because you're not getting housing no more, right? And right. not only that, I learned this hard lesson that your pay actually is taxed at a higher rate out of the military, right? That's and right. so people like, you know, buying cars, buying houses, doing all these big plans, you know, planning vacation. And, 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 and then they're forced to take a job they hate, they don't like. And that's the reason why, like, I think veterans, like, have, like, two jobs in two years or something crazy like that. Right. And, I, you know, they say that when you get out, the most important job is the first one. You know, because when you get that first one, you get out, it, it kind of shows the employers. And I don't know who they is. I, I'll just say that's what Greg says. Right. So but you get that first job and you show you can do something. I think it to me, it proved myself that I can do something outside of the military. So it was a confidence booster. Uh, but I think also it shows other employers when you decide to move on uh, that that uh, uh, you're capable of performing outside of the military. And so. I think in that respect, you know, we have a lot of skill sets. There's a lot of soft skills that military folks have that really, you know, as a young age, we were put in charge of a lot of people. And so as you move on and you start, when you get out and you start, you're thinking, man, I got to make sure I have a house. I got to make sure I have a good car. I got to make sure I have all this stuff. You know, you, you're kind of going through the rack and stack list, but now your pay changes and maybe they miss a couple paychecks and it's like, well, what happens now? Right. And now you got stress at home. You've just retired. Your career and life has totally changed. You don't have the friends that are around you, which leads to, you know, big troubles. And so uh, I, the financial side of it, it, I think that's a huge stressor. It absolutely is. And I think that when, when you start thinking about it, you know, don't think. What do I need to survive? Think, what can I what can I afford? And what can I minimize down to until I grow back into the place that I'm at? You know what I mean? And so realistically, if it's 55%, you get a half your pay, but you got to make up the other 45, right? And so how do you do that? You know, do you go and take a job you hate? I don't know. Maybe you do, but in all actuality, it's going to let you go to the next job, right? But I think also in the military, the one thing that was a big thing for me was, you know, I was always changing. I think I had this at one of the bases I was at, I actually had this box, right? So I, I moved to go to these different jobs and I would, this box really had nothing in it that I used, but I would grab this box full of like papers and whatever. And I would take it to my next desk and I would set it on. I think in one day I moved three offices, right? So some might say I kept getting fired, but, uh, but it was, but it was literally like, it became a joke, like Greg, get your box. You're moving to QA today or Greg, get your box. We're moving over here. And, uh, but I think when people get ready to transition, it's just thinking about, you know, what do I need to be able to provide for my family? And what does that nest egg look like in case I have to, you know, uh, live on my own? So have that, you know, three months of expenses, uh, have that maybe even more, you know, what you're comfortable with. If you have a house, you know, you don't want to get out and then automatically have that. A uh, big thing that happened all of a sudden, if you have a septic, it goes out or you got a plumbing leak, or you got a roof, whatever. And now all of a sudden you're in negative digits. Um, and so I think that is important. And I think it's important to get a hold of that earlier in the career and to realize that, hey, there's going to come a time when I, when I retire. Um, and uh, at that point, I may not be in the same shape physically. I may not be in the same place mentally as I once was. And so I need to make sure I'm prepping for that because, you know, as much as a lot of us, me included, think I'm invincible, I didn't think I was going to go into surgery and the next day come out and my life be totally changed and shaken upside down. You know, I was looking for that magic bean, that magic surgery, that magic whatever, and then it went south. And and luckily, I had you know taken care of some things and uh, and was able to survive and was able to thrive. And and I got a job within three months. I was planning on going to school full time and got offered a job that they really took good care of me. And and uh, so 
but that doesn't always happen. And I think I could have done a better job of planning because sometimes I just felt like, you know, it's been going good for 28 years. What, you know, we're just going to keep riding this wave, right? And uh, you get that certain standard of living and lifestyle and then you get out and you realize, oh man, you know, I got to pay taxes on that, you know, $1,500 a month they give me for housing because it's no longer tax-free. And when I buy food, it's actually going to come out of that 300 and something bucks they give me and it's going to be taxable and, and you know, all of that. So I, I do think it is a, it is, it is quite the kick in the pants. Yeah. Realize, I, 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 I know me, people ask me for advice. I always tell them, no, I don't know your economic situation, but you can't like cut, take a break. Right. Was it two weeks a month? I remember my first job. I was, I was like working on the day, my last day of the actual military. Right. I was thinking to myself, what have I done? Like, what am I doing? Like I started working like a day earlier. It was a double dip, get money or stuff, you know, of course, you know, you got to find a job. I'm like, man, what am I doing? Why am I working the last day in the military? I should be out with my family and friends, partying, drinking, but I'm here at work. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, so I started to help you like, you know, try to take some kind of time, some kind of time off you can, right. To kind of decompress. I took three months, you know, and, and I, I don't, so, you know, I'd save some and had it all set up and ready to rock and roll, but, but, you know, in that three months that I took off, my goodness, I had to get a job because if I'd have kept spinning at the rate that I was, I might have been calling Jason up and saying, I need a room, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I had done all this for years. I'd been on the road and now I had this three months that I could spend with my family. And, and I'll tell you, I was ready for a job at the end of that three months uh, because it was just so different than what I'd been doing. My life had changed. And, but, but I, I had a blast. Like we, man, we were, we traveled and we did a lot of really cool stuff and I probably spent 10 times more than I should have in that time frame, but I had planned for that. You know what I mean? I knew that we were going to take that, you know, a road trip. I knew that we were going to go and, you know, my daughter, she, when we took that long road trip in, in 2016 that we were talking about earlier, that 4,500 mile road trip, that's when my daughter decided when we were there in uh, Flagstaff that she was going to go to Northern Arizona University. So after she graduated and we took them there, I actually drove her before I moved down to Lakeland to go to this new job in August and I drove to the Northern Arizona University there in Flagstaff, and we made a little mini vacation out of that too. Uh, but it was it was just one of those things that, man, don't do what I did in those first ninety days, man. Don't that is not suggested. I mean, have fun, have fun. But man, I wish I had some of that money back. But man, we had we had a lot of fun. Greg, let's talk about this next. So there are so many nonprofits for the military veteran right community, like just like a crazy amount of number, right? Yeah, 4,500. Some, some good, 45, some good, some probably not so good. Like, how, if someone supports support veteran nonprofits, what's advice you have to them? Like, pick the right one so they actually make a difference. So, what I'll, what I'm, man, that's such a tough, and you, you're really, you're really coming with the A game tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of getting to know what they're all about and don't just pick one at random. Just like, you know, do your research and what are they all about and what do they really do? And, and what I would tell some folks to do is read what it says on their websites and then compare it to what they actually do for real. Like if they're saying they're doing this, then is that what they're really doing? If you're following them on the pages and LinkedIn or whatever it is, does that match? You know, and what kind of events are they doing? Where are they holding them? But I think most of all is... What's their, what's their background? You know, what's their legacy? Where, where did they come from? How do they know what they're doing? And I think a lot of them, you know, there's a tendency uh, to think because of all the stuff that we've happened, you know, I'm not going to mention the name of the programs, but there were some pretty significant things that made people leery, right? And I run into it every day with what I do. Uh, but, you know, the place 
because people are just leery to give because like, where's this going? I need to know a breakdown and all that stuff. And so what we're trying to do honestly is, and it's always honest. I got to quit using that phrase, but it's always honest, right? Uh, is we're trying to get to where folks are aligned with the mission that's beyond themselves. I think that's for me is something that I've really looked at. It's when I go out to somebody, if they're so focused on exactly what they're doing and they don't want anybody to have chinks in their armor, or they don't want to let somebody else in or they don't want to expand. Some folks are doing great stuff, but me, I look for folks that want to give beyond maybe what they did or what they're doing and want to connect. So we're building that organization for us right now that like not every person can go. I'm trying to put together an Angie's list, you know, of nonprofits. And to where folks know what it's it, but I want folks who are going to be part of the team that we're putting out there to where when we travel, I, maybe I don't have seven different, you know, K-9 handlers. I don't have all these folks. I have one, but the one is able to explain everybody else's. And I think you just go and talk to them. I think you get to know them just like a job interview. If you're really going to dump up, you know, put a lot of money into something, go talk to the person, you know, reach out, talk to their staff, see how they interact, see what they're doing, look at their website, you know, go to an event, you know. Uh, see if see if it matches you know go visit them go because there's all kind of way to interact you can text email facebook all these different avenues and i would encourage people to actually ask those tough questions uh, because sometimes honestly it, you know i've i've come across them to where a couple of organizations haven't quite been exactly what they laid themselves out to be um and again there's a human factor in there right but I think the large majority, I would say, I would say I'm going to go with 95%, maybe even higher than that, are out really to do some good. And I think the ones that maybe go astray is that they start out doing good and then they kind of uh, make a turn somewhere and then it just snowballs on them. Um, because I don't, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm just being optimistic, right? But it's just like having an accident. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I'm going to go have an accident because then it wouldn't be an accident, right? So I think folks wake up and they start nonprofits to do good. And then you get burnt out because, you know, in nonprofit, in the nonprofit world, you know, people will say, I'm going to donate and then they don't donate or, Hey, I'm going to give you this in kind. And they don't do that. Or, Hey, you can come use this. Then they don't, or, Hey, we're going to show up and help you do this. And they don't do it. Um, and it gets frustrating. I think that's why you have such burnout. You know, I've, I've had some pretty large organizations commit pretty heavily to what, what it is that I do. Uh, and then uh, when it comes down time to writing the checks, which was promised, then, then it doesn't happen. So now you've planned based on what you feel is a commitment, kind of that military thing where the expectation is there. If you commit, it's going to happen. And you've got this plan. All of a sudden, you got to redo your whole budget. It happens in the business world, too. It's no different than running a business. Um, but I guess it's maybe if I was a little more skeptical, you know, and I just want to think everybody's out there to do great stuff, you know, and, and really get it right. Uh, but I, I don't think there's any one way. I just think, you know, look at it as an interview, a job interview. If you're going to have somebody and you want to work for this team, who would that be? And are they doing what you want to do? Are they doing, uh, are they committing to what is that you truly believe in and can you get behind it? I think that's where you have to make the decision. So um, I don't know if that truly answered the question, but yeah, that, was my best, that was the best political thing that I could do because I really don't want to call anybody out because I, I think even inside of organization we may call bad, there's still a lot of great people. Uh, and that's where it's such a tough question for me is, is I maybe have dodged that one, which is not my nature, but I just meet these organizations that I know sometimes that aren't, they may be in a lull and they're struggling and they're straining, but I meet the people that are inside of those organizations and man, they're just wonderful people that their heart is in the right place and they're wanting to go to the right place. And, and it gets sidetracked. So all those folks with some of the bigger organizations that we know went through some struggles, 
Man, I know people inside of those organizations and those people are, you know, the salt of the earth and they got caught up in a bad situation and they may not even know what was going on at the higher level. So I would say do your research. Greg, research, research, research. Greg, talk about running a nonprofit, right? Because like running a nonprofit is basically like running a business, right? It is a business. So, you know, the only difference is, is with a nonprofit, you have to spend the money on what you say you're going to spend it on. Where with a business, I have a lot of latitude. So if it's a veteran nonprofit and I got this and that's what my charter says, I'm kind of bound by it. I can have money in the account. It's not like, I mean, the, the NFL was a nonprofit up until not too long ago. Uh, you know, so think about that because they provide entertainment, which is one of the things, uh, you know, entertainment. And so running a nonprofit is just like running a business. But when you do the carryover, you don't distribute. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, but this is from my, you know, you don't distribute the earnings or your your surplus, if you want to call it that, what you didn't spend, you don't, you don't distribute that in, in stock shares. You carry that over in the next year, you use it on what you say you're going to use it on. And so you can't, like, I can't give, now as a president or a founder, as a president or a board member, you don't get paid. But there is our staff members. You know, you can't run an organization the size of the amazing Gary Sinise organization without having paid staff members. You know, I mean, there are certain people that do jobs that require that, but then the board keeps it on track and goes forward. And so I think it's when you look at that, too, is what's the percentage that folks are getting paid? But for me, I haven't taken it. I haven't taken a dime. Right. And so I've been blessed by being able to do that. And that's why I have some of my other businesses. And and I don't say that, but there are administrative costs. I'm not going to tell you it hadn't cost anything, but I've been in a situation to where I haven't had to. But now we're getting bigger. I'm, I'm going to have to do expense accounts and some of that stuff to make it happen. So there is administration costs. Right. Uh, but it's a business. It really is. Except the difference is, again, that I can't distribute my earnings or distribute what I have in the bank account at the end of the year because we did such a great job. That just means we can do a better job next year. So, Greg, can you talk about the coffee club? Yeah. So the coffee club, we're, we're going through a little bit of a transition. But what the coffee club is, it's, it kind of has a couple of different parts. And, and it's one, um, giving people an opportunity. So this is a really cool opportunity for folks. Is, is So I have a coffee company. And if people want to join in and they want to co-brand with me, I actually, if they give me their logo and they say yes, then I'll give them half the profits. And there's no catch to it. It's literally, they give me the logo, they say yes. I do the shipping. After everything is done, the net profits is split 50-50. The 50% that that goes to them, they can use to help, you know, do their own, grow their own organization. The other 50% goes into a, uh, a uh, uh, venture fund where it helps get them to the next event. So they only have to work on growing it. So again, that's going to have to grow, right? But it's, but it's, uh, but it's part of helping people. Like when I first started out, I didn't have all the money in the world to be able to put a nonprofit together. So I had to go out and raise funds and write checks out of my own pocket and all that stuff. So what I'm trying to do with young entrepreneurs and, and, and folks that are trying to do nonprofits that maybe have an idea, but no, no bank account is to give them a way to make that money and do it through uh, just saying, look, I, I already have this thing set up. Yes. I'm going to get something out of it because I'm going to give you a way to make money. I'm going to take care of the logistics. I'm going to take care of the website. I'm going to take care of all that stuff. And then you're going to get your logo. My logo will be there. We both get some, some, uh, you know, some advertising out of it, but then you get half the money. And really the only thing that you're doing is saying yes, and then promoting it. And then folks buy the coffee. And so that's the big part of it. But the coffee club also is where it's growing to is we're doing pop-ups. So right now, one of my uh, partners is crunch fitness. And so one of the plans that I just spoke with them on is on Saturday mornings at crunch, I'll go and start setting up at nine, which is where they open on Saturdays. And then when folks come out, I'll give them coffee if they want to come out and chat or whatever, after they go to the gym. Um, 
then I can get to know in these local locations is what's needed. Whether it's a veteran or not, it still all kind of comes together. And so there's a coffee club portion to it where it's really a gathering of friends to help us connect even more. What, what does the coffee come from? So the coffee we have, it, it, so right now it's coming from, uh, uh, you know, there's stuff come from Mexico. It, it really, it's all around the world. Uh, and I won't say everywhere, but a lot of it is the Arabica beans, you know, which comes out of Mexico. And, and then we have some stuff that comes from, uh, um, oh man, Puerto Rico. So we just, I, I may mess this up. I hate, this is something I don't try to come out, but we do have it coming from multiple locations around the country or around the world. Right. And so, um, the new person that I'm looking at right now, uh, it's called Third Day Coffee, and it's out of uh, out of Seguin, Texas. And we are actually doing a collaboration where it'll be me, them, and then a guy that does uh, Miller, I think it's Miller Time stickers he does down there, to where we're going to work on this as a, a partnership. And they have some amazing coffee. I just got the samples in, and I was, my socks were blowing off, right? And so the coffee that they're doing, they sent me, it was mostly Arabica beans. There was some uh, Robusto. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, but there were different flavors that they sent me. But what we really want to do is we want to get that one amazing cup of coffee that we have one right now. We're, we're trying to always trying to improve, right? And get the one that blows your socks off, makes your toes curl kind of thing. And then we want to make sure that that's available. So when we're sitting around, we're not talking about how crappy the coffee tastes, but we're talking about, oh man, this is amazing. But here's what I would like to do in the community. And here's how we would like to move forward. And here's how we would like to grow. And oh, by the way, here's what we would like to do across the country. And so our goal is that all the events that we have, that it's part of the coffee club, that people come in. And it just When you say coffee club, what does it feel like? It feels like you're going to a cigar bar or, or going somewhere and you're sitting around having conversations. That's what the meaning behind it is. And then the exchange portion it's Comrade Coffee Club and Exchange. The exchange is putting all these like-minded folks together under one roof. And then we travel around the country to go to and with and for and by and around people where they need the help. And so it's all this big, unique interplay that all works to support Comrade Rescue Mission. I'm guessing people can go online, order coffee, and to be delivered anywhere in the world. What's that? And you can order online and have it be delivered anywhere in the world. Hey. Yeah, you can have it delivered. It's, you know, the, the price for getting it overseas is a little more expensive, obviously. Uh, but it's, it's, it's exactly what it's, camaraderiecoffeeclub.com. That's the name of the website. If you go to our website for Camaraderie Rescue Mission, tcrmi.org, there's a link to go to the coffee company. And what happens is, what we make, that money goes directly into helping me travel it. That's what it was intended for in the beginning, was to just help pay my expenses because I didn't want to take money out of what people were donating. And so now it's grown and the coffee club's getting bigger and the coffee, we, you know, the coffee is getting better and people are requesting it more and more. And so now it's turned into a business. And then the exchange uh, is a place to where we get all these different folks. We, it's going to be a subscription service. I'm working on the website now for that to where like your organization, my organization, all of us, we're all there. We're part of this huge network so that we all connect and we do events, uh, co-branding and all that stuff to really help us grow, but more to reach out to those folks that you talked about earlier that, uh, may not want to come out of their house, but you know, you need to give them a call. And we have these intentions and we have these things where when I go to your part of the country or, or, or California, wherever we have this network of friends to where we put on this, I call it the traveling circus where I'm the head clown. Right. And so, so what I tell people is when we do these events, there's the, like, you remember the old, uh, the train with the, with the circus that you got as a kid, there was the tigers, lions, bears, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of how it sets up for me is there can only be so many tigers, so many lions, so many bears. And, but I need the person that does the stuff for the bears to know all about the bear area of responsibility. 
so that we can give people what they need. And then we travel light like a spec ops unit and we travel around the country, but we get people the information that they need in the smallest package as possible so that I can set up in the middle of a parking lot. I can set up at a church camp. I can set up in the middle of Des Moines, Iowa, if I need to. And we're just this light traveling unit that goes around and just helps people and just figures out what they need in those communities. And then we build the community in that community and then we just keep growing. So we become this connected network of, of folks that really just want to see us thrive as a nation, grow as a nation and become closer and more connected than we've ever been. So Greg, next talk about the Falls of Virtual Mobile Ropes course. Like, uh, yeah. That's like so much fun watching it on, like, on your website. It just seems like yeah. a lot of good time. Like, yeah. So, you know, that was something that it was, it was kind of cool how it happened. So I, Jacques, Jacques uh, Weilers, he's, he's the CEO of it. And he, he kind of tracked me down. He's a prior ranger and he did a really good job of doing his research. And, and he asked me to come out and we had this conversation and talked about it. And what he's been doing for years since 1995 is when that came out is that he does these ropes courses to where it basically kind of puts this little bit sense of anxiety because you're climbing and that kind of stuff. But he, it gives people a sense of their confidence to be able to overcome and achieve. And that traveling ropes course, I think if I, and I don't want to speak for him, but I believe it up, if it's fully up and going, I think it'll hold like eight people, like with everything that you can do at one time. And right now we're in the midst of refurbing that we're, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're raising money for him or raising money for us. I tell everybody it's all connected. We're raising money. Can I get that whole thing refurbed? Uh, because there's just, you know, with ropes, there's, there's some maintenance, but it's amazing because it's very safe. He's trained on all the procedures. He's got the safety protocols and all that stuff in the lanyards, the belaying and all the things you have to do. But honestly, there's so much that you can do with that. That's part of a leadership type technique because the fall, the family and leadership life skills, that organization really, really uh, sets up to where underprivileged, underserved female veterans, all those things. And that's what they brought me in for is that we use people, we bring it, bring it out into their location is, which is why we love the mobile aspect of it is the fact that we can go in and really learn and folks can learn about themselves. And it's very simple. And we just let them kind of go through the process. And Jock is the, he's the ringmaster of that circus. Right. And I mean that in the best possible way is that this guy is so energetic, you know, he, he, man, he loves that thing. And I'm just so, happy that he brought me in because I learned something from him every day. Like he, no kidding. Like this guy has more energy than any person of his age. And Jock, that's not an old joke. That's a compliment, <laughs> right? I want to make sure he understands that. That's, I just, but he, he has so much energy and he loves the kids. He loves what he's been doing. And, and he wanted a military aspect of it that was specifically military. It wasn't exclusionary before, but he wanted specifically military because he knows we're going through some of the same uh, struggles and some of the things of the folks he's been working with, which is the underserved and, and things like that. But that ropes course is really a way because when you set it up, it's going to draw attention, right? Oh, yeah. People come over to it. It's something that's like, this is really cool. It looks like something out of, you know, like we pulled it out of basic training or one of the places, you know, the, the courses that you go through in the military and stuff. But it really, I watched him do it at a, at a middle school up on the north side of Lakeland not too long ago. And to watch the kids, he has them trained where they're, you know, they're working through it. They're getting people set up. He's got a person that's in charge. This, this girl, she was, I wish I could remember her name, but she was just knocking out of the park, getting everybody where they needed to be, make sure that they were holding the rope tight and have enough tension on it and all this kind of stuff. It was just cool. And he does way more than the ropes course. And we collectively do way more than that. Uh, this weekend when we have our event out in Winter Haven, he's got this deal where there's some four by fours and some ropes. We got to have people walk, four people walk together. And, you know, you pull the rope up as you're walking with this four by four. If you don't get it right, then 
kind of teaches that leadership and that teamwork and that togetherness. And that's what that ropes course, but it really focuses on the interpersonal of while you're climbing, but the people that are a part of your team, you have to learn how to trust them. And like how many for this middle school, like went to the ropes course, like I can't do this. I can't do this. And they end up doing it and just boost those confidence so much. Oh, so yeah. I know this, of yeah. course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just to see, you know, the, when I was up there, the, the, the young girl that was kind of leading it, she was going through some stuff and he pulled her over. And he's like, Hey, you know, you need to kind of get in there and take control of the situation. That's, you know, that's, and she, I mean, man, I'm like, how old is she, you know, we're going to give her an early, like, you know, go on the NBA. We're going to give her an early contract and get her when she graduates, she's coming out here. Right. But it's just to see their faces light up and what they're doing. It was, it was cool. I mean, I, like I'm still learning. I'm relatively new into the organization, but what I'm seeing so far, man, I'm, I'm just honored the fact that he tracked me down, you know, and said, Greg, I, you know, I would love to you to be a part of this with us uh, because it's, it's really amazing what he's been doing. And, and that was such a compliment to what camaraderie rescue mission does with the veterans and all that kind of stuff. And with what we've been doing with the sailing trips and what we've been doing with the equine demonstrations. And it's just, it was such a great compliment that I couldn't say no, you know, it's, it was uh, man, where do I, where do I sign up? And then he offered it to me and I'm like, I'm in, man, let's, let's do this. Let's have some fun. Greg, talk about this, talk about this barbecue you're doing on April 30th. Okay. So on April 30th, we have an event up in Winter Haven and we are combining with uh, uh, Freedom Boat Club. If you guys are, aren't familiar with them, they, uh, they have boat clubs around the country, around the world, really about 350 locations. And what you do is you pay a down payment. I won't go into the numbers and then you pay a monthly fee and then you pay for the gas when you got used, but you walk up and say, I want that boat and you go out. So when I was looking for a way to reach veterans across the country at, at many locations around the world, they already have that in play. Right. So I went and had a conversation with them and said, look, my whole goal, maybe we're not there yet, but my goal is to eventually have a captain that works with uh, camaraderie exchange, camaraderie uh, rescue mission that gets people out there and I can take veterans out fishing or riding a boat because what do you do when you go fishing? You let your hair down, right? You relax, you talk about stuff and now we're able to connect. And so it comes back down to that main pillar, that main tenant. And so that's part of why we connect with them. And then there's the freedom or the uh, champions church. It's up there in Winterhaven that gave us this monster of a lot to be able to have it on. So we just appreciate what they're doing, but it's really a place where they can come out. They're going to see the nonprofits like the, I got your six foundations coming and what they do, they do adventure therapy. Like they wrestle alligators and take people jumping out of planes and all that cool stuff. We've got Liberty OVE that's coming and they do trauma resiliency to where they are. They call it trip where they work with folks that have PTSD and help move it to long-term memory through visual imagery. We've got Michelle Ladd and her hero mobile uh, from the, uh, uh, from uh, national veterans resources coming out. The falls will be there, family and leadership life skills. Um, I just, just all the, and I hope I don't miss anybody, but we've got, uh, let's see. Uh, I think, uh, anyway, I, I'm not, I'm going to try not to name her, but I'm just going to say there's a bunch of folks, but we're all on the same page, right? And that's where it all starts is they'll come in and the whole goal is for people to get a seat when they come to one of our week long retreats or two and three or five day retreats that they'll get to walk the line and see like, OK, here we're going to do yoga here. We're going to do the Liberty OVE is going to help folks with PTSD. So they're kind of cleared and ready to receive what we're going to do. And then the next one, we're going to go out and introduce you to some horsemanship and let you truly connect it through natural horsemanship, not riding horses. That may be part of it in the future with some other organization we're working with. But it's really connecting with them through natural horsemanship and getting them to come to you and connect and truly have that one-on-one -on -one connection with a horse. Uh, and it's, it's amazing what happens there. Um, but 
There's also going to be food trucks. There's going to be some barbecue trucks. There's going to be some vendors there. There's going to be some merchant places uh, to where folks can come and buy. There's going to be a place where they can set up and come and sign up with us in the Camaraderie Exchange so that they can be a part of this bigger network that we're growing. But at the end of the day, it's about bringing a community together, bringing friends together, and just getting to know each other. And we'll grow from there, you know. And and it's uh, I, I'm excited about it, if you can't tell, you know. So it's something that has been like it's been this big what they call it, the, the, the B, the B hag is what I think Jim Collins says, the big, hairy, audacious call them. Uh, and it's something I've been thinking about for a long time, but I've got a team in place now. And, and my, the past teams that we've had, they've all led to this point, right? Everybody's so this, had so this is the first, first time doing this. This is the first time doing this one. So we're going to continue to get better. We've had other events, but this is a big event. This is like a showcase event of what we can do. And are you going to try to do it once a year moving forward? We're gonna, well, so what I want to do is I want to do it uh, across the country. Hopefully it's someone, you know, if everything works out, we'll be doing it at the Freedom Boat Club locations. Or we're going to take this event and template it and then move it to different locations, whether it's a, a business or whether it's with a nonprofit or whether it's at a location. So this is part of that traveling, but this is just a really big showcase of, hey, we want to love the community. We want the community to come out and have some fun, you know, have some food, come to the jump castles, come out and listen to the, you know, the, the music that we got going, do some leadership building events, meet some of these amazing, amazing nonprofits. And then we want to take that and travel it across the country. So Greg, let's, let's suppose tomorrow, you have 30 things you need to do you, to prioritize one, number one, number 30. How do you make sure you focus on things one, two, and three versus going to number 27 or 28? So what we have is, like I said, we, we have an advisory board. And right now I have a team that their number one goal, honestly, and I appreciate this so much, is making sure that I stay healthy, which I haven't done that for myself. And they're making me take time off. But what we do is we literally look at what has the most reach and the most expansion. Right now, what that is, is making sure that the folks that need help get the help that they need. And the way that I've done that is, so with Camaraderie Rescue Mission, we focus on horses, barbecue, and water, right? And what I mean by that, I could say animals, food, and nature, but it doesn't nearly sound as cool, I don't think, as saying horses, barbecue, and water, right? So our events evolve around horses, having some good food there, and then having a water event when we're there, whether it's boating or whatever it is. And so that's what we focus on specifically with Camaraderie Rescue Mission, right? And then I'm trained on some of the stuff that Liberty OVE does with the trauma resiliency, but that's their mission. And so I want the professionals, the people that do it on a regular basis to come in and do it. And so when I have to align what's at, I look at exactly what can have the most impact. Liberty OVE can go nationwide right now because they can do what they do online. You know what I mean? And so we support them. We work together. I, I promote them like I'm doing now. And then when we've got, I got your six, if you're going to jump out of a plane, you got to get to the plane. So a little bit different, right? And so we try to give folks options. And so depending on the venue or the event, it's kind of like an a la carte. So if I'm going to go out and go to the middle of Nebraska, I probably am not going to do a sailing adventure there, right? But there may be a Freedom Boat Club. And again, we're doing the overlays and really laying this whole thing out where it's perfectly. But the way that we, the way that we uh, determine one, two, three, or four is by looking at the place, the location that we're going, looking at what's required in that location, doing some of our research to say, okay, here's where the struggles are at. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's, you know, there's been a, a drought there. Maybe there's been this. And then how do we best connect with the people of that community? And that's how we just, and then it's uh, from there, we just kind of, you know, set up our team and let God point us in the right direction. And then we go and show up and, and hopefully, not hopefully, we bring, we bring the community together. So Greg, can you go more detail about your nonprofit? Like, like how it got started, 
yeah. focus on now? What's it like your big audacious goal for moving forward? Yeah. So, so the goal, so how I got started was I told the story about the brain surgery, right? And I told you about what happened following that with the individual that, um, that said, make an appointment. Right. And so I've always wanted to do it. I've always really enjoyed helping folks. I've always really enjoyed, you know, the aspect of training and making processes and people better. Well, in 2000, I'm trying to make sure I get the date right. 2020, it was the day after Christmas. And I'm looking at my Facebook and on my Facebook, there is, I think there were seven badges that had this black stripe on, which meant that someone had passed away. And I didn't really know how at that point. Over the next day or so, I'd found out why, but I looked at that on the 26th of December and I looked at my wife and I just assumed the worst. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm resigning from my current job. I'm not sure exactly when, but this is what I need to be doing. And when I came up with a name, when you talk to military folks, when I, when you, people ask you, Jason, when you say, what do you miss most about the military? What do you, what do you normally say? What do you hear? The people, the people, the camaraderie, right? And so that's how the name came about. And then the camaraderie is what we lose. And so that's where the whole name came from camaraderie rescue mission. I don't have a big building. Uh, I have a big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, again, credit to Jim Collins for that one. Um, but it's it's something that we want to take what we do with the equine uh, demonstrations, the therapy. We want to go and work with folks with the uh, with PTSD. We want to work with all these in conjunction with folks like the Falls, folks like that, and then make this a traveling to where people can show up and we put it in a church parking lot and they can come out there for one, three and five days, or we do it on location, like down at the Instride therapy that uh, Easter seals owns uh, down in Sarasota. We do these events where folks come out, they really get the services that they need. And you don't have to have 500 people there. You have these folks that have the resources and become the subject matter expert in the field, which they represent. Again, it could be therapy. It could be canines. It could be horses, equine therapy and all that stuff. We make sure that we have those subject matter experts and we have built a really good team now and every day we're adding to it. And then that's that's the goal. The goal is to be connected in all states and around the world so that when folks have a concern that they feel comfortable. And when you go out and you're a part of our organization, you get that camaraderie exchange logo that's on your there's an ecosystem. Let me explain it this way. So you've got a clinical aspect, right? That's where like the therapy and all that comes in. And then you've got a coaching because when you go to like treatment or you go to whatever, you have this situation that you've had a shift. Something has changed because your mind thinks differently or you, you know, you've kind of had this thing to where you you're in this mode of you've had a shift and things are feeling better. Well, then there's some coaching involved because like we hear folks that come out of rehab that go back in the same situation. They don't really truly know how to interact because they're back in that same place. So they're going to have these coaches that help move them forward. And then the bottom is where the nonprofit comes in. So the nonprofit can be either in the, the portion of the clinical, they can be in the portion of the coaching or they can do all three. But when people see that logo that's on there and they're part of this greater organization that they can get focused. So now between the coffee company and between the other things that we sell and what we do and the venture fund, we create our own ecosystem to where really we self-fund ourselves, we move around and we're changing. That's kind of where my part of my uh, bio came from is we're literally changing the way that nonprofits can fund themselves and the way that we interact because we're building something that really where the financial part, we can set it up to where they only can, they only concentrate on what it is that they're trying to do, not the travel portion. And we figure out a way, we figured out a way to make sure that that happens so that folks that are welcomed in and they, they get vetted and they meet the criteria and all that kind of stuff that they know kidding uh, can move forward with us and then they travel with us. But it's a team. It's not with us. 
us, I mean the collective us, it's, it's one big happy family. And so we have, instead of having um, just camaraderie rescue mission there, I've got, we've got this whole list of folks there and every one of them are experts in their field. And Greg, has it been proven that like horses actually like help calm you down and have like this big mental health boost for people? Yeah. So, so I, I've experienced it and I think it's cool. So you can't lie to a horse, right? I think there's a book out there that says that, but a horse will reflect the way that you interact with it. So if you come up to it, I, I tell this story and uh, my, my treasurer, my former treasurer that was in the organization, he goes out there and, and he goes out in the middle of the arena and he was, he, I said, he looked like Iron Man, which he thanked me for. He thought that was pretty cool. I compared him to Iron Man. And as he was in there with the horse, it took about 30 minutes for finally the horse to respond the way that he was trying to get it to. Again, no physical touch. It's all through body language. And it's being coached by Nancy Slater, natural horsemanship uh, at her cowboy camp out in Lake Wales. And when you truly end up connecting with the horse, and when I looked into the horse's eyes, I'm like, you know, it, we just connected because the horse responded to me. If you go in there and you're trying to be a tough guy, then it'll just kind of walk away from you and won't have anything to do with you. But when you humble yourselves and you really show it that you care because they're prey animals, right? As someone says, I don't really like, but it's meat on feet because they really don't have a way, you know, they're, they're, they're horses. And that's a really, you know, kind of rough way to put it, but they, they get spooked. They want to make sure they know their surroundings because things are going to attack. Right. And if they trust you, it's kind of like a military person. They trust you forever. So I wish I had more horses in my life back when I wasn't tell when I was kind of holding back some of it because you can't lie to them. And that's where the connection happened because the horse will reflect the attitude in which you come at the horse with. And that's why it really kind of humbles the person. Uh, and it's just, you know, there's certain studies that show that horses are better than dogs. We have service animals. Uh, uh, I don't want to see, you know, there's probably our service horses out there. Again, I'm, I'm still really digging into this hard, but where it all comes down to is they don't let you come to them in a, in a attitude in which they don't respect because you have to become, you have to show that you're the one that's in, you, you kind of have to become a team and they have to respect you. And they don't let you come to it if you have this emotion and you're kind of snappy and stuff. And they just won't pay attention to you because they've got you outweighed. Who knows how many pounds, right? And, and so where do you keep your horse at? you have like a, a ranch or a farm that you get to use? So or? Have, yeah. So right now, I don't, I don't have a ranch myself, but Nancy Slayer's again out at Horsemanship. She has, it's called uh, Nancy Slayer's Natural Horsemanship. Uh, she's out in Lake Wales. And we go out there and she brings her horses out. Uh, she actually is the coach. She at one point was a, uh, a Pirelli trained instructor. She, I believe she was a path instructor at one point and she's taken it to the next level. So she has her own uh, modality, her own methods that she uses. And so we go out there to her. We actually, uh, the first week of May, we're staying on her property. She's got a 10 person cowboy cabin that we stay in. Uh, and when we do these events, we want about 10 to 12 max because then we have that intimacy, but yet we have enough to really, uh, you know, do different groups and, and allow folks to come along. And so she goes out and they go into the round pen, you know, the round deal, and she works with them from the outside, talks, and the person goes into the pen by themselves. Uh, and then it, she coaches them on how to interact with the horse. And then when they finally connect, it's amazing. And so right now, I don't, I don't have an intention uh, personally at this point to have like a true horse ranch, what I do is I work with folks uh, as I work in conjunction with what they have uh, and make sure that they meet the requirements of what I believe the veterans need. And based on uh, some expert advisors and therapists and, and folks that are trained in a gal and some of those things just say, here's what we need to do. And do people actually ride the horses? 
So we do. So I have an, uh, so there's a, a group right now that I'm working with. It's called Extreme Horsemanship that's up in, uh, and that even at Nancy Slater's, no, sir, they do not. Uh, because again, it's not, it's a different type of thing. It's, it, you can look up the natural horsemanship. Now we do have another group that we're working with uh, that is more of a riding thing. It's called Extreme Horsemanship and that's up in Webster, Florida. Uh, and they're really cool. We're working with the guy, Eric up there that owns the place and he does riding events. He actually goes around the country and he teaches people how to shoot like a bow and arrow from horseback. And oh, wow. we have some really neat stuff that he's doing. And, and I just met him the other day and I was so excited. Like, I mean, I, I'm really excited about this, you know, uh, and, and Nancy's is more of a methodical thing, more of a, I'd say like a true, maybe I don't want to call it therapy, but a demonstration, more of a therapeutic clinical type setting thing to where the other one is riding the horses and it performs a therapeutic process, but it's also this adventure that you're doing. So it, it all has its place and there's going to come the point where we, we bring them together. But for right now at that event, it's more of a clinical type event, maybe less than maybe what you go to some, maybe more than others. Uh, but we're really focusing on the horse. The first two days is, is really nothing but the horses and some mindfulness meditation and yoga. Yeah, I haven't rode a horse in a long, long time. But man, I definitely know it's like it's therapeutic for sure. It's like, yeah, it's very calm. It's like you're like one of nature, like one of the horse. And it's, it's a different great feeling. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I tell I told Nancy, I think one time I said, you know, I know which end that I know which end it eats and I know which end the, the hay goes after it's done, you know. <laughs> Uh, doing its business. I said, that's my knowledge of horses. I grew up in Kentucky and I love them and thoroughbreds and all that stuff. I just love the pageantry and all the things that we do for the horse race and everything. But I truly didn't understand horses until I went out to her ranch. And when I went out there the first day, she's got, she's got just these amazing animals, these beautiful creatures. And I walked up in one, you know, we kind of went eyeball to eyeball. And, uh, and I jokingly say that when, when he, when he looked at me, like, it was like he reached down into my soul and then he kind of whispered in my ear, like, hey, boy, you probably need to come back here a lot because we got some work to do. Right. <laughs> like, like, like we got to we got to get you to where you loosen up a little bit and we got to, you know, but it was just it really I'm telling you, when I when I looked eyeball to eyeball, I just felt it. You know, it wasn't something that I wasn't expecting anything. It was something that just organically happened. and It, it totally blew me away. Greg, is there anything I should ask you that I haven't asked you yet or anything else you want to talk about? Well, you know, I, I think uh, one thing I would like to to bring in, and I know I've said a little bit, but, you know, my family and friends have supported me so much through this. And, and you know, when you're doing a nonprofit or even when you're starting a new business or in the military, there's there's that connection that you have and folks that surround you that really make you be able to allow you to do what you do. And and my wife, you know, I haven't been the easiest guy to live with. And my family, you know, my girls, there's stuff I've missed on what they've done. And if I had one thing to say to folks, and maybe this is not uh, where you were going with the question, but if I had to say one thing, you know, as they always talk about that, no one's ever on their deathbed that says, I wish I would have worked more. And that's something that I, maybe I need to really listen to that thoroughly and, and totally take a lesson and take care of me better so I can do that more and, and not put in those crazy hours. But, you know, the people that love you, they're going to love you no matter what. But I think for me, it was the way that I was loving them back. And sometimes I was loving them so hard that I was working so many hours trying to provide money or trying to provide an income or, and really all they wanted was just me to be there. And so I think that's important. And that's kind of where the camaraderie rescue missions have to connect, support, sustain is that we have to connect. And, and even though I've been helping other folks do it, I think sometimes you got to look within yourself and you got to learn to just connect with yourself and connect with those that are around you that love you uh, and then press forward and do it with the others. So 
I, I just want to say thanks to all those out there. There's been a ton of them. I could list just so many names, which has been a complete blessing, including you, Jason, for having me on here. But I think the thing that I would, you know, humbly say thank you. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I love you guys for it. And I, I really, I wouldn't be where I'm at both physically and mentally, if it wasn't for those that have surrounded me and given me so many opportunities. So I just appreciate that. I, I really do. Greg, can you give us your social media for links for both yourself and your, your nonprofit so people reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So my, uh, if you look up my nonprofit, it's TCRMI for the camaraderie, the camaraderie rescue mission incorporated.org, TCRMI.org. And then if you go to that one, what you can do is inside there, there's a link that says coffee club or I think that's what it says. If it says coffee, you can click on that and that takes you to our coffee website. And so that'll get you started. The other one's being built right now for the exchange. Uh, it's an evolving process, but we've had a lot of uh, really awesome people, uh, you know, connect with us. The slide deck's being built right now so I can explain it to folks in maybe a clearer fashion on paper to where I can kind of walk them through it. Uh, but it's something that there's a lot of horsepower behind. Uh, a lot of folks that you may recognize if I said their names and they're bought into it and they're already on board as part of the uh, the deal. But I would say start with TCRMI. Uh, you can look us up on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, you can connect with me personally, Greg Bicknell on LinkedIn and Facebook, and then I can connect you with the other other ones. But TCRMI, that's what we kind of go by because like if anybody's like me, it took me like three months to learn how to spell camaraderie, right? And so I went with TCRMI because I can spell that, <laughs> right? And then the Camaraderie Coffee Club, I'm working on that one. Uh, you have to be able to spell that out, but that's why I put the link in TCRMI so you can go straight to the Coffee Club. And so let's have the link to all the social media links on the show notes. You can find us so much at www.cavernsatetalkblog.com. Be sure to share this episode with your networks and your friends, and be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the Jason Cavern experience on your favorite podcast platform. Awesome. So, Greg, we're coming in with talk. Can you give us any last-minute wisdom or advice or anything you want to talk about? Yeah. I, so this has been this has been fun. I've I've really enjoyed it, uh, and I think you know, love the ones you're with, love the ones you're around, and uh, just be true to yourself and true to others. I think that's uh, use your gifts and talents, as like I said, as Carrie would say, uh, to be a blessing to others and, and to, to give. Uh, but most importantly, I just think uh, take care of yourself first. There's no wrong in that. There's nothing wrong with saying I need to take a knee. There's nothing wrong with saying I need a little bit of help or I need I need I need just a moment. Uh, because I think and then when you get to that point, don't be afraid to reach out. If you, if you don't have anybody to reach out to, heck, you know, reach out to me and give me a shot. And there's other organizations out there. but. Connect, support, sustain. That's what we're here to do. And and uh, that's that's what we're going to continue doing. And so that would be my suggestion is take care of yourself first and then make sure that that uh, you use your gifts and talents to be a blessing to those around you. And shout out to Carrie still for introducing us. Yeah, absolutely. Carrie's great. I, I, sometimes I'm like, he gets plugged. Sometimes I forget and I end up plugging organizations more than my own. Uh, but I just love what folks are doing. When they do a great thing, you know, they need to be plugged, right? And Carrie's, Carrie's been a big dude. So um, hopefully we'll blank his, maybe you'll just edit his name out or put like a beep over top of it. That way he doesn't get a big head and call me and say, man. So, but anyway, no, he's a great friend. He's really, he's really been, he's a mentor. I consider him a mentor. Yeah, he's doing a lot of great things. He does, yeah. And we're going to continue doing stuff together. And like I said, he's just, he's a good dude. So Greg, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. No, I, I enjoyed it, man. I, I, I can't wait to maybe do a follow-up one or get you out to one of our events or just connect because this was this has been a blast. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for your time as well. Remember to be great every day.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know? Pump it up. You've got to pump it up.